Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. On the precipice of game number five, the Sports Bash is live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Jennings producing today's show. You out there, what is up, South Jersey? Good to have you with me on a windy day. Holy mackerel. Well, we got game five tonight in what I would imagine is a much warmer climate. South Beach, Miami, the place, the FTX Arena. Is where it will all go down. How will it all happen? Well, we're about to break it down the next couple of hours here, plus Eagles information and thoughts and Phillies, who won 9 nothing last night, by the way, while you were sleeping in Seattle. All that and more on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash here on 97.3. Frank Close's Phillies mailbag is coming at you at the bottom of the hour. Actually, in uh, 39 minutes from now, Frank Close has the Phillies mailbag. Jeff Mosher has today's football at four. Minicamp has ended for the Eagles, for the rookies. We'll have another minicamp, OTAs, all that good stuff. Football at four today. Michael Kasky, Blomain on the Sixers. And Mark Jackson tonight will join me at 525 for a little Sixers information. Some Sixers news real quick before the show gets underway. Um, not really Sixers news, more Heat news. Kyle Lowry is out for the game with that hamstring problem. You probably uh, noticed that Lowry was lumbering up and down the court in game four. I would think this is kind of a insignificant. I mean, Lowry's a nice player. He's 36 years old. He's not the same Kyle Lowry that he was in Toronto. He did not play in game one or two of this series and Miami was able to win at home without him. He was back for game three and four and Miami was not able to win with them. So he's not, you know, he's not the same Kyle Lowry that he was in, in Toronto by any stretch of the imagination. And he certainly wasn't playing at a high level when he got hurt. This is not like a guy who was playing at an extremely high level that they've lost in the middle of this series. Uh, is it a loss for them? Sure. I mean, he's a leader. He's a champion. They do have some options without Lowry. Gabe Vincent, I think, started for them. I'm interested to see if they go with Victor Oladipo. Does Oladipo get the – what is Tim Bontemps uh, really really uh, feeling the uh, Miami festiveness down? I turned over my left shoulder, Tim Bontemps, who reports for ESPN. He's at the Sixers Heat game. He's down there on South Beach wearing a fedora, doing his live hit on uh, – what show is this? What's the name of this show that Max Kellerman – has this just in? This just in. Tim Bontemps has a fedora on. 
I've never seen the guy wear a hat. Before. I've never seen him wear a hat either. And I and I turn around and just see a guy doing a live report on television with a fedora on. He reminds me of the guy at uh, Dodger Stadium telling you how uh, with the with the speed gun. <laughs> you ever see that guy yes. that sits behind home plate? Does he still do that? Or is it just Mary Hart now? Uh, I don't know if that guy's there anymore. I, I haven't watched a Dodgers game at home this year. So, well, I mean, that. he's been doing it for years. I don't know. I mean, is he is he has he been there the last couple of years? I don't remember. But I turn around, I see Tim, uh, Tim Bontemps wearing a fedora on. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a. <laughs> geez, he looks so. He looks the, ridiculous. The, the hat it looks too small for his head. It's not a good look. No. It's not a good look. Not at all, Tim Bontemps. Come on, man. Um, he almost looks as if he knows it's not a good look. All right. Um, <laughs> How does J.J. Reddick and Max Calvert have a straight look on their face? I don't know. Right I'm having a hard time keeping a straight look on my face, and they're on behind me. I mean, these guys are talking directly to him. I mean, I don't mind a good fedora. This just didn't seem to fit. No. Are they laughing about it, I wonder? I I hope they are. Uh, George Niang today said, quote, you'll get to see a pissed-off Joel. You're welcome. Obviously a direct response to the fact that Joel Embiid believes that he should have been the MVP of the league. He will not be the MVP of the league. Can the Sixers bottle that up and take game five? I already told you yesterday I think the Sixers will win this series in six. I think they'll win tonight, and I think they'll win on Thursday night. And it's not often that this early in the game that I'll come right out and say that, but I felt right after game four, there's no way they're losing this series or this game. I think the Sixers are right now having the upper hand with this whole Joel Embiid not playing the first two games, coming back in game three, and it's the way they won. It's the way they won without needing Joel Embiid to carry them. That, to me, that's the difference in this so far. By the way, you asked about the Dodgers guy. His name is Mike Brito. He's 87 years old, and he's still working for the Dodgers. Is he still behind home plate? He is still trying to go to every Dodgers game, he says. because he is. So, apparently, he is in charge of their entire Mexico scouting operation. Okay. And... Through the pandemic, he wasn't able to go to a lot of home games, but he's trying to make every game this year. All right. Well, I've seen him for years. I just haven't noticed him recently. 43 years he has worked for the Dodgers organization. Yeah, he has the um, the radar gun behind home plate. Yep. He sits behind home plate. He's Mike got the Frito fedora. Mike is his name. Yeah, he rocks the fedora, much like Bontemps does. So he looks better in it. That, that fedora works for him. You know, if you're going to wear it, that has to be your signature. Can't just like willy nilly, w- once in a blue moon, pull that out. Right, you got to have it either all the time or not at all. Yeah, like how many people do you know go with that? Off the top of my head, I only know one. A, a, a guy who was like a mentor to me. He um, his name was Larry. <laughs> he always wore it. Right, I mean, but he's an old school guy. But that's you know? the thing. Guys who always wear it, they always wear it because they can get away with wearing right. it. Not you can't pull it out. Well, the other thing with his Larry, even if he doesn't wear a fedora, he wears a hat. So it's like there's always something on his head, kind of thing. All right, well that's a little different, but still. Like he wears the fedora probably seventy percent of the time. Like John McMullen, he always wore the Kango. The Kango, right? Always mm-hmm. backwards. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's his thing. Right, it looks like Bruce Arians. Yeah, so you go with what your thing is. You right. can't just be Tim Bontemps and be like, 
well, I'm on South Beach, so I think I'm going to change it up a little bit. Right. Now you look like a total tourist. Right. And like you said, the hat was too small for his head. Yeah, the fedora was too small. Like, it's almost like you Bad borrowed job. it from somebody. Yeah, it was like, hey, I'm going to Miami. I might need that fedora. Can I borrow it while I'm down there? Sure. And he put it on. It's like, hey, what, do you get a free bowl of soup with this? <laughs> oh, but it looks good on you, though. No, it doesn't. It does not look good. It does not look good. Um, back to the Sixers. Back to the Sixers, who are on South Beach. I hope that, like, I think that, I think James Harding could pull off a fedora. He's got the look. Old man look, you know? Nah, I don't know. Harding Harding style is a little too eccentric. To wear a yeah, I don't know that I'm talking about his clothing. I'm just saying he's got the, the, the face. He's got the beard. You know, he's got the tight hairdo. You know, like Maxie, I don't know, that looks good with a fedora. His hair's too long. Yeah, the only thing I could see Maxie wearing is maybe a ball cap. Maybe. No, he's not a hat guy. He's not a hat guy. No, his hair's too long. I just said that. He's like you. He's, a, he's not a hat guy. I wear a hat, but I just don't choose to. But you're not a hat guy. I used to. There was a time where I was a hat guy all the time, and then I got out of that phase of my life. I grew up. Well, that's a that's a silly explanation. No, you know. Your age has nothing to do with whether you wear a hat or not. You just either want to wear it or you don't. No, I'm saying I grew out of the hat phase. I was when I was younger, I wore the hat. Then as I grew up, I kind of got out of the hat phase. Yeah, but you're making. Not, it- I'm not saying in my age. I'm saying as I grew, I got a, I I grew out of the hat phase. Is what I'm saying. Not that I got old and decided that being old means I can't wear a hat. Meaning I grew out of that phase of my life where I went hat all the time. I right, just want a little clarity on yeah, that. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't trying to say. Old people shouldn't wear hats. Yo. I'm just saying I grew out of that phase where I was wearing hats all the time. I, I was a hat guy like eh, maybe like freshman year in college was probably the last time I went hat a lot. If you look at pictures of me in college, you'll see me wearing a hat. I remember when I was in eighth grade, I had a coach who used to yell at me because I wear my hat backwards. And he's like, you're not respecting the game. Yeah, you can't wear the hat backwards on the baseball field. Yeah, and I was like, well, Ken Griffey Jr. I would, does I it. I would say the same thing. You can't wear the hat backwards. Come on, Griffey Jr. did it. Well, well he didn't know. do it on the field. He did it, like, off the field. Not like, you know. Well, that's during the game. I didn't do it during the game. But yeah, I mean, that's, what, well, that's what I thought you meant. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be walking around school. Yeah. And they'd be like, why are you wearing your hat backwards? Yeah, it's like uh, the backwards hat. is. It's got to be a certain hat. Not all the hats look right backwards. True. Yeah. Bontemps with the damn hat, he he threw my whole opening off. The entire show just went sideways because Bontemps were a fedora. <laughs> these too weren't small. in my notes. I mean, all these notes that I took for today's show, there's nothing. <laughs> Bontemps shows up on television wearing a fedora and it just threw me off. What's worse, him wearing the fedora or the fedora being too small? The fedora being too small. Because if it was a fitting fedora, I might say, oh, that's a good look. But the fact that it was too small was the issue. Did you ever think Bontemps had a big head till now? No, but maybe the hat's too small. Maybe the hat's just small. I'm not saying he has to be. I didn't say he had like a bulbous head. I'm just saying <laughs> the fact of the matter was the hat was too small for his head. Now, I don't know that he maybe he does have a big head and that's why, but it just could have been a small hat. It just didn't look right. Is there anybody that you can think of you would like to see wear a fedora? I think a lot of people could pull the fedora off. Even if you do it, like, once in a while. Maybe, like, for special events or but something. But, like, you can't just randomly pull out fedora and then it not fit. That's my point. Mm, like, gotcha. you can't say, hey, I'm going to go fedora today, and then it doesn't fit. But, you know, every once in a while, you pull one out. Yeah, maybe, like, a special event or something. Yeah, but not, hey, every once in a while, and it doesn't fit. 
Right. And I'm on national TV doing a report. But most people who go with Fedora are regular Fedora wearers. That's true. That's why I said I almost felt like Bontemps borrowed it from somebody. He's like, hey, can I borrow that? Yeah. Go inside. I, I, like, it was so, like, jarring to see him wear this Fedora that was like. You did, you did a triple taker with I him. was like, what is this guy doing? You're doing a live report on television. Like, somebody grab that off his head. <laughs> Jeez. Who's the producer of that segment? They're doing a bad job. That's terrible job. Like, <laughs> my God. Um, and I'm imagining if he was talking in that hit from Miami, he was talking about James Harden. I didn't hear what Tim Bontemps had to say, but here's what Jay Will has to say. Everybody kind of said this is like me being a James Harden hater. And I'm like, no, yeah. I don't want James Harden scoring 35 every single night. I want James Harden being I got to give me 20 to 24 can facilitate pass, get everybody involved. If he gets hot, then great. You'll take that as a 76er fan. But you don't want James Harden trying. Like, I like this team when they're balanced with Joel and Embiid being back in the court, Tyrese Maxey being considered to be an alpha guy, Danny Green, Tobias Harris actually knocking down shots from the outside or being confident enough to take those shots. Like, my, I don't look at James Harden being the guy that's going to drop 35 every single night. Yeah. I don't think that's championship James Harden. I think high assist and taking the easy buckets that they give you that could be championship James Harden. Yes, and, and I kind of agree with Jay Williams. I don't think James Harden has to score 35 every night. You know why? Because that's typically Joel Embiid's job. But what he does have to do is when Joel Embiid isn't the guy scoring 35, he has to be able to crank it up to do it every once in a while, like he did the other night. The problem was there was no Joel Embiid in Game 1 and Game 2, and Harden wasn't able to crank it up to where they needed him to. And the team struggled without having a star player to lean on. You need stars to win in the playoffs. And as you get deeper in the playoffs, you need your stars to shine even brighter. So you can get through the first round of the playoffs by having your star play at a lower level. But as you get to that next round, as we've seen with the Sixers over the years, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were good enough stars to get you out of the first round but they weren't bright enough stars to get you out of the second round. Well, now, to get out of the second round, your stars have to shine, and they have to shine the brightest. Well, unfortunately, Embiid's star (laughs) had a little crack in it. He wasn't even there for the first two games. So they needed a star to shine, and they didn't have that. And in Game 3 and in Game 4, with Embiid back, even though his star wasn't shining the brightest, his impact allowed the team to shine bright. And then in game four, when Embiid wasn't the shining star, James Harden was. You need that star. you got to have that guy. Look what happened to Boston the other night. Jason Tatum had 10 points in the game. If he is the star that everybody perceives him to be, and I'm not sitting here saying, see, I told you so about Jason Tatum. He's just not there yet. He's going to be there. Jason Statham is a star, but he's not a superstar. A superstar doesn't get 10 points in the game. If he was just a star in that game, they would have won the game. See, the Sixers have two stars. That's the beauty of having two stars. When Joel Embiid shines bright, the other guy doesn't have to be the 35-point scorer, but If you're not going to get that from Embiid, you have to get it from somebody else. And the other night it was James Harden. The night before it was Tyrese Maxey. 
That's how the Sixers win. It is the impact of Embiid, and typically he'll be the guy who shines the brightest with 30 or 35, and then that secondary guy gets you 20, 25, somewhere in that range. But if Embiid doesn't get you 35, someone else has to do it. In, in Game 3, it's Maxi. In Game 4, it's Harden. And I agree with Jay Williams. I'm not asking James Harden to score me 35 every night, but when my other star is blinking a little bit, you be the one that has the full glow. And that's what they need tonight. They need one of those two guys, Harden, Maxi, to be that other guy. And that's how the Sixers will close this series out. And, Mike, part of the issue with the Sixers is the fact that, yes, Harden had this great game, but he had the game with Embiid on the floor for the game. When you needed him to step up in games one and two, that's the criticism, is that he didn't give you what you needed when you needed him to give it to you. So that's what makes Harden frustrating, is that, you know, in a game like game four, he gives you his best game of the postseason. Well, okay, but did he give you the best game of the postseason because he had a great game or because Embiid enabled him to have the great game? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that Harden did take it upon himself to be a little bit more aggressive. Now, who was on yesterday? Was it Hudrick who mentioned, it had to be Hudrick, I would imagine, maybe it was McGarry, who mentioned that Harden is taking the shots, he's just not making them. Eh, I don't know, 100% agree with that. Because one of the problems with Harden has been, he hasn't shot the ball over 20 times in a game since he's come to the Sixers. Correct. That is not normal for James Harden, right? And he took 10 threes the other night. That is something that, since he's been on the Sixers, has not been normal. A 10-shot, uh, three, uh, 10 three-point shots in one game is not something that we have seen from Harden. I do agree with what he's saying. He has taken shots. He just hasn't made that many shots. He hasn't had a 6-for-10 uh, type of night. But when you look back, his three-point shooting days... He has had seven, five, seven, five, six, eight. He's still taken a good amount, but he took 10 the other night. He shot 18 shots the other night. Before that, 11, 15, 13, 12, 11, 17 he took. The night that he took 17 shots, he played 42 minutes, which is the most minutes he's played uh, that I've seen in these playoffs. So the 18 shots, 10 of them for three, he just had a small uptick in his usage. And it's small uptick in the amount of shots and how invested he was into the offense. So I'm not saying he has to be 20-point-a-night shot guy, but what Joel Embiid isn't Joel Embiid. And I don't know, is Joel Embiid going to come back and be 35-point Joel Embiid? I think he will be. Personally, my my feeling is, yes, Joel Embiid's going to be that guy. I think you're going to be able to get a lot from Embiid. I think Embiid is going to take this whole thing personal, to be honest with you. I think Embiid's going to go down there tonight and say, I didn't get the MVP. Let me put it. It's been all over social media. I mean, everybody is saying they got it wrong. How do they not do this? And I think Embiid is well aware of that. And I think he wants it to keep going. I think he wants to ride this wave as far as he can. I mean, he's tubing right now. And he wants this wave to push him from States Avenue down to the inlet. Just keep on riding that thing, baby. And how do you do that? You have a monster game tonight. You have a monster game so that everybody just pours it on. You gave it to Jokic, and this guy put up 38 points, 17 rebounds, and it had three block shots. 
That's what I see happening tonight. What do you see happening tonight? 609-403-0973. Phil in Stone Harbor. Mike, I'm tearing with laughter on the Fedora talk. Well done. Thank you, Phil. It was very impromptu. I did not have that in my notes for today's show. That was not planned <laughs> Well, at I all. mean, the guy had a fedora on. I turned around. I didn't expect to see that. It's like the other night. Uh, who had a fedora on? Who was wearing a fedora recently? I'll have to, I'll have to jar my brain to remember who was, was wearing a fedora. The but Derby? put it this way. Well, they were all over the place at the Derby. All sorts of strange hats. But put it this way. Him wearing the fedora, I can't even remember who it was because it was so seamless. When you can rock the fedora, it's just seamless. You see what I'm saying? Right. If it's not a seamless look, then you can't wear it. If it doesn't just seamlessly roll with what you're wearing or what your face looks like. You know, it's the shape of your face, the shape of your head. Oh, I can't wear a fedora. Doesn't work for me. Can you wear a fedora? I've never tried. Because I don't think it'll work. It might. I mean, maybe if I'm wearing like the right outfit with it. You know, maybe if I'm wearing like a whiteout outfit for like a special event or something. I wonder if anybody in the listening audience is wearing a fedora and thinks they can pull it off. Maybe send us a photo if you're wearing a fedora. And I'll judge whether or not you are a fedora guy or not. Because Tim Bontemps is not. Not even with, without question, Bontemps, not a fedora guy. Definitely not. No. If he comes back on the screen, I'll have to take a picture and tweet <laughs> it out. I mean, uh, NBA Today is coming up in less than an hour. Maybe he'll be back on I'm there. I'm sure he'll be on TV all day. <laughs> I would hope somebody says, hey, man, that fedora you had on in that live hit in the 2 o'clock hour, I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you, Bontemps. You're a good guy. More Sports Bash on the way. It is brought to you by Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out their full lineup of trips at phillysportstrips.com. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, uh, game five tonight. A couple of NBA games last night to uh, dive into as well. How about the Celtics? Al Horford. Did we ever see that Al Horford once with the Sixers? Never. Never saw that much energy, passion, burst, pops, nothing. What do we attribute the turn back the clock series that Horford's having? And look, he didn't do a thing with the Sixers. Not one thing not one memorable game that he ever had and they basically had to figure out a way to trade him to get him out of here right. because look and i i can totally say this styles his style did not fit he did not fit the sixers he could not play with Embiid. right that was the problem in boston he's back to being the center 
Right. In Philly, he was being miscasted as this stretch four, which was a bad signing by them in a league that is basically a three-pointer or nothing league. They had two big guys, and really three when you go to Tobias Harris, because remember, they were playing Tobias as a small forward. So you had really a big, lumbering team. But Horford last night was unbelievable. I can't believe how well he's especially rebounding. Like take out take out the dunk that happened last night. He's boxing out guys who are like ten years younger than him, but with with ease. Right, but he would when he got when the Sixers made the decision to sign Horford, mm-hmm. it was this like, hey, we got this six foot ten big stretch for Well the whole stupid theory that didn't work out was they were gonna play bully ball. Remember the whole concept was we're going to play bully ball. We're going to get physical. And they did it for like two weeks. And then they forgot about the rest of the year. Right. Well, they did it on opening night. If you remember, I was at that game. Opening night, they played the Celtics. And they bullied them. Right. They, they beat them the up in the paint. Weeks. Right. And then they were like 4-0, 5-0 or something like that. And then all of a sudden, it didn't work. Well, they got away from it. They completely abandoned well, it. Well, here was the problem. Yes, they got away from the whole bully thing. But Al Horford... Couldn't hit a three. He was a stretch right. four who couldn't hit a three. Which made everything worse. Right. You had a guy. You go back to Al Horford that year. He could not make a three. Now, he is back to playing center. And I remember talking to Keith Smith. And Keith said, look, Al doesn't want, doesn't want to be a center. He would like to be more of a stretch four. That's why this was something that was intriguing to him was to be a guy who could be a stretch four. In Philadelphia, he played 30 minutes a game. He averaged 12 points, had 6.8 rebounds. The big number, though, was the three-point shot. And in Philly, he shot 35% from three, which is okay. It's not great. Even this year, he shot 33% from three. It's not good at all. In these playoffs, he has been unbelievable. He had 30 points last night, 22 the night before, with 16 rebounds, five assists. Two blocks. You know, and the other thing with Horford was he was supposed to be the guy that if you got into these playoff series, he would be. There's another guy wearing a fedora. What's going on down here? But at least that one fits his head. That's eh, Nick Friedel. It's not a great. It's not is, a, that, is that really fully a fedora? It's pretty a big rim. Yeah, that's a. That's a larger rim than a fedora. Yeah, you're right. Well, what's up with everybody wearing the hat? They're down in Miami. Maybe but they have an advertising deal. I don't know. I got thrown off by the. I got thrown off by the uh, fedora again. Nick Friedel's down there in Little uh, Havana, Miami, for the game tonight. All right, so Horford goes ballistic in the game. Thirty points. The whole point of having Horford when they brought him in here, if you remember. Is he was this six foot nine guy who could defend guys like Giannis and that he gave Embiid problems, right? He, when the Sixers played the Celtics, Horford gave Embiid problems. We just have a zoom out shot now of a bunch of old guys wearing fedoras playing. What is that? Uh, is that what is the name of that game? Is that Dominoes? Yeah, I don't know what the game is, or is that Bacharach? I don't know, but th- that guy's got to be 85. He doesn't have a fedora. 
The other guy, he's got a fedora. The one guy's laughing hysterically. Yeah, because he's got the guy sitting next to him wearing a ridiculous fedora. Now, the guy's playing cards. The fedoras work for them. Well, they're they're playing the thing where you connect the blocks and it adds up how much you know your points you get. Basically, yeah, I, don't know I forget that. the name of the game. I, I saw a couple TV shows. Yeah, but those old guys playing cards down there in Miami, the fedora works for them, and they spent their whole life getting to a point where they can wear the fedora. <laughs> that guy has it on now. That was a different reporter. That was Nick Fredell. Yeah. Now the fedora, it wasn't. His didn't look so much like. A that wasn't traditional, a real fedora. Right, it wasn't a traditional fedora. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I think you're right. I think Joel tonight is going to have the game of his life. I'm just worried that the other cast member come along because South Beast is going to be rocking and hard and haven't convinced me that he can do it back-to-back -back at this point of his career. Well, we haven't seen him do it back, let alone back-to-back. -back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He hasn't had a 30-point game since he's joined the Sixers. Um you know, somebody told the story. I forget who this was. Um, might have been Stephen A. One morning was talking about the whole South Beach thing. And he has been very steadfast on that going to South Beach is a real problem for teams. And that going out and partying in South Beach is a problem. He told the story about Allen Iverson, who I guess, you know, was known to go out and party a little bit, maybe a lot of bit. <laughs> and he tells the story about Iverson said, hey, it's the playoffs and I'm going to, you know, try to take it easy. I'm going to go to bed early. And he had the worst game that he ever had. So the next night he went out and party till like four o'clock in the morning and he ended up dropping 61 points in like the next playoff game. So the allure of this whole South Beach thing, I think, is somewhat true. Now, I went to South Beach, and we were down there for the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And I can tell you, I didn't experience South Beach at all. I mean, I had to get up to go to work the next day. I went out to dinner, had a nice, quiet dinner, and went home. <laughs> I would hope that James Harden does what I did. But I doubt it. I don't know when the Sixers got there. They finished the game on Sunday, Mother's Day. It was a late night. So I would assume the Sixers probably flew down sometime yesterday. So I don't know that they had the full night to kind of go out and do their thing. Because, now do you think they flew out Mother's Day night, Sunday night after that game? I doubt it, don't you? I'm assuming that they flew out the next day. That's what I'm saying. They probably flew out yesterday in the morning or yesterday well, maybe in the early afternoon. afternoon. So that means they had all day there yesterday. Right. Now, they practiced already today or they had something, a shoot around. They today. had a shoot around. Yeah. Right, right, right. So I don't know that there was a whole big opportunity. I get it. It's Monday nights. Any night in South Beach is probably something going on. But of all nights to be down in South Beach, Monday's the one that you're like, uh, there's probably not that much going on down there, right? So I think Harden will be okay. I think you'll see a decent game from Harden tonight. So the Domino's game they were playing is a form of tiddlywinks called a train, where you have four players who play the blocks in different variations to gain points. Cole and LBI wants to know, Mike, I'm curious what age qualifies someone to wear a fedora. I don't know if it's an age thing so much. 
think it's a style to look. So, like, can you pull it off, Cole? Like, for example, I I can't wear a Kango hat. That's not who I am. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we did a Roaring Twenties party at my house for uh, New Year's. Were you at that party? Yeah, a couple years ago. Or was it three or four years ago? Don't remember. It was, like, pre-COVID. Or... You, you've had, you have a different theme with your New Year's party. Yeah, so one year we did Roaring Twenties, and I tried to go with the Kango frontward style, like a 20s guy. Just not, you know, not 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 the look for me. He looked more like a caddy than anything else. Caddy? Yeah, like, you know, caddy shot. At least I was dressed up. You know, I was playing along. Well, the, the outfit you wore was great. Just the hat made you look a little... So I don't know if that there's an age qualification, Cole. I think it's more like you just have the right head. You can't have a bulbous head. Go fedora. You need a smaller head. Maybe a guy that can wear, like, wiry, circled glasses. He wears a fedora. Like James Spader can wear a fedora. He can. He wears a great fedora. Uh, Phillies mailbags on the other side. See what questions you guys have this week for Frank Close, our Phillies insider. If you have a question for Frank, 609-403-0973. Phillies fans, get your questions in. Frank Close is coming up next. Now, back to more Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 242 on the Sports Bash. Brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding Windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up online, eastcoastroofing.com. Frank Close covers the Phillies for 973ESPN.com. His mailbag appears every Tuesday. He answers your questions at Frank Close on Twitter. Tim in Millville says, I went to AC for a Halloween costume one year, dressed like a gangster, had a nice suit on with a fedora. It was working for me, gotta say. I was like 25, so age doesn't matter. Yeah, Tim, the age doesn't matter for the fedora. It's more the look. It's more like, does your head fit? The fedora. Frank Close, can you rock the fedora or are you no fedora guy? Never tried. So Never tried the fedora. I have not tried. Wow. So who knows? Maybe 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 next Halloween. <laughs> I thought uh at least somebody would try. Like, hey, this kind of looks cool. Does it work for me? You're saying no. Well, I don't know. Maybe when I lose a little bit more hair, my hairline's going back. I feel like then that will be the time to. Well, uh, I don't know that hair. I don't know a guy with long hair worked with fedora, but I don't know that it's not like something you have to wear because you're losing your hair. I see a lot of guys rocking it that are losing their hair, right? Well, so. they might have rocked it for a while though, because only certain types of faces and heads can wear the fedora. Well, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, I want a full report. The, uh... I, this came up because I turned around, and Tim Bontemps from ESPN was on TV, and he's down in South Beach for the Sixers uh, Heat series, and all of a sudden he's got a fedora on. I was like, this is kind of <laughs> odd, and it did not it did not fit him. It did not suit him very well. I don't know. TV guys shouldn't be wearing hats. That's just my thing. I don't, right. No, even, I was even John Cruck on the Phillies broadcast bothers me wearing the baseball Why caps. does John Cruck... That's question one in the mailbag. Why does Cruck <laughs> wear the hat? 
I don't know. He's got nice hair. I don't know. What I thought was, I thought he was wearing it maybe because he was losing his hair and he was like embarrassed by it. But that doesn't seem to be the case, is it? I don't think so. Well, then again, I haven't seen him without a hat in a while. But but uh, I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't want to do his hair. That seems like a corrupt thing to do, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But I'm surprised <laughs> that like someone's like, dude, you can't wear the hat. He must have been like, I'm wearing this hat whether you like it or not. <laughs> Must be, but I don't know. It doesn't surprise me with his personality. Right. I mean, it just looks so odd to see a guy on a television broadcast, like, wear a hat. I mean, I guess, whatever. Who cares? But it is a little odd, don't you think? Yeah, oh, definitely. The hats are not for TV. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, by the way, Phillies win 9 nothing last night. Why we were sleeping, the bats came alive, Frank. But more impressively, I think Ranger Suarez pitched a good game. Yeah, it was a really nice win for the Phillies. You know, I think this was kind of the calming game that they really, really needed. It showed two things. One, yes, they can pitch. And two, they can they can hit. And, you know, the bats were all out last night. I, I did stay up and watch the whole game. So I watched most of it. Uh, they were up 17 like, hits. Yeah, I, I bailed at like six nothing. I said, all right, that's enough for me. Although yeah, with this bullpen, I, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. With but the Phillies it, bullpen, uh, it should never be enough. Uh, well, hopefully tonight the fans will be jazzed up by the Sixers win, right? And then they can just stay up and watch. Yeah, you should those. go run. You should go one right into the other. You got two homers early. Segura, Hoskins, uh, both had a couple of homers. Phillies won nine nothing last night. Let's get into the mailbag. Uh, these are questions from listeners. Um, Chris wants to know Derek Hall. He's a guy I saw down in uh, spring training. Is he a guy uh, that can get called up? You know, Derek Hall. A friend of mine texted me last year. Just saying, hey, is this Derek Hall guy a prospect? And I think I texted back, nah. <laughs> I think that was my short answer back. But I will say this. I should have given him a little bit more credit. Uh, right now, his power has been through the roof for AAA Lehigh Valley. He's hitting 288, but he's got 10 home runs and 35 RBI just in a month's worth of play. And that makes his OPS a perfect 1.000. Certainly, you would look at that stat and say that that could be helpful to a team. But I think he's still got a couple things that are, are kind of blocking him from coming up in the major leagues. And the first is that the Phillies have a first baseman in Reese Hoskins. And for Hall to come up, he's got to have a first base available to play. We know the DH is currently occupied by Bryce Harper for who knows how much longer. And the collection of players that they have, they do have other first base options in Kyle Schwarber and JT Romuto once in a while. But he seems kind of he seems kind of blocked. And I will say this, you know, he's 26 years old. He's not really high on the prospect list. And, you know, quite honestly, he probably doesn't project to be a major league starter. And so then you got to ask the question, do you want to cut a prospect on your 40-man roster to make room for somebody like Hall? He doesn't seem to be a, a really good fit at the moment. Now, of course, last year the Phillies had that injury to Reese Hoskins in, in August, and they really had nobody to replace him the rest of the way. might have been nice if Hall was hitting like this when Hoskins went down that probably would have been the perfect opportunity for Hall if he was hitting like this and that opening happened. But but right now, this seems like a lot's going to have to happen for him to sort of fit in on this Phillies roster. But I will say this. The fans have loved him at every level. They showed He showed power every level. And I know there are a lot of fans out there rooting for him to make the major leagues. But we'll see. You know, sometimes, sometimes even Hoskins, right, he was not that much of a prospect at one point. He just sort of hit his way into the major leagues. Certainly, Hall could do the same. Well, I remember, you know, it's an interesting question about Hall, who I saw, who's a big guy, a big power guy. Uh, Ryan Howard was kind of a guy that nobody knew much about, and at 25 years old, he was a late bloomer. 
Yeah, I will say still the odds. Remember the odds were against Howard, but you know he, he had to put up Ryan Howard like numbers in order to squeeze his way in, and there had to be an injury to Jim Tomey for Howard to really get the opportunity. So I mean that the the cards could fall right for Derek Hall, but uh, but right now he's kind of blocked down there at AAA. All right, let's get to uh, Chris's question. He wants to know the likelihood of a trade that will involve someone in the starting nine: Hoskins, DD. Odubel. Um, so let's start with that part of the question. You know, I don't think the Phillies are in a position to trade any of their starting players. Now, we we were talking a lot about this before. Oh, should you trade Didi Gregorius because you have Bryson Stott? Well, you have an injury to a regular. Well, Bryson Stott was available to plug right in. Didi's going to get healthy again, and you have that extra depth. And I think last year's season, the story was that August 10th, Reese Hoskins went down. The non-trade deadline... Uh, excuse me, the trade deadline is now uh, a really solid July 31st. There's no more waiver deadline after that. So Hoskins went down, and the Phillies had no options to go out of the organization to get somebody to replace him. And really, that's arguably the story of why the Phillies didn't make the playoffs. You know, they, they a couple more wins, they were in. So I think it's really important that the Phillies hold on to as much depth as they possibly can. And if you start trading from your starting nine, well, then you're going to lose that depth. You know, there will there will be more injuries this year. I mean, it's a long season, and I certainly hope there's no injuries, but, you know, there are. It's baseball. That happens, and you need some players to plug in. Now, the nice thing is with Moniak, who we seem to, to want to um, look forward as an option, uh, if Moniak does push his way in, then he'll get some playing time, and then you still have your, your depth around. So I think the Phillies would be hesitant to get rid of some of that depth in the middle of the season. Plus, too, if you trade somebody in your lineup, there are consequences beyond that, such as disrupting a team chemistry and stuff like that. I don't recommend it. I think that's the type of move you make for the offseason. I think we'll, we will be talking about some potential moves this offseason as they look to reset their their infield, particularly with, with Gregorius and Segura becoming free agents. So that's a discussion for the offseason. I think they need to keep the, the depth that they have, and it's always good to have the depth. The teams that have the depth tend to win. Yeah, I guess uh, to follow up on that question would be, you know, uh, if you're looking to trade someone in the starting nine, what are you looking to get? Um, You know, and and do you want to weaken yourself at a spot? Like, you know, this nine is okay. Um, They probably should be better, and there is some depth on this team. At what point do you say, hey, we got to use something of strength to go fill the weakness, which I guess would be what, the, the, the bullpen still? The bullpen's still pretty good. Obviously, Thursday's meltdown is going to stick in people's minds for a while. Uh, the good news for the Phillies is they seem to turn the page the next day and beat Max Scherzer the way they did. So that that that's a good sign. But I know that that was really the only game, maybe maybe one other where when Familia uh, let some inherited runners score early on. That real, the bullpen really hasn't been the story of the problem so far. So yeah, yeah, they you know you want them to be perfect every night, but they they've been pretty good. So. Uh, I'm sure they would love to pick up a bullpen piece. I think the Phillies are going to probably, if they acquire a piece like that, have to use their financial strength in order to to get that piece. You know, taking a salary might be the the way that they get that piece done, rather than trading uh, a starting player, rather than trading a prospect. But let's let's face it: if some team is selling off their pieces, they probably don't need one of your starting nine, particularly the ones that might be free agents soon. All right. Uh, speaking of, if um, you know, you need to add a piece monetarily. John Middleton over the luxury tax here. How long before he gets frustrated? 
Uh, how long does Girardi have to get things moving in the right direction? That's from John. You know, I, I we we heard this a lot early on. Is you know, it seems like with every loss, so fire Girardi, fire Girardi, fire Girardi. I think the la- the noise is starting to get a little bit louder. You're starting to hear it from more established voices. Uh, even Marcus Hayes in the Inquirer wrote something this past week about about perhaps a case to remove Girardi and. And Hayes basically is saying that Girardi looks done, looks empty. The team reflects the manager. The team needs a jolt. I, I, I think we're starting to, to get into the point where you might start looking at, at that, that as an idea. But I think still uh, Dave Dombrowski knows that this roster is still a flawed roster. This is not a perfect roster by any chance. And Dombrowski inherited, quite frankly, a mess from the Clintac McPhail era uh, that's really difficult to, to remedy and the only way the Phillies have been able to remedy it somewhat this year is just spend a lot of money and that's what they've done to try to do as best they can with what they had without a farm system without players to call up other than Stott right now he's doing what he can and I think I think because of those flaws you need to let this go a little bit longer to see all right is the manager not getting enough out of everybody or is this just what the team is and I think you need to give that at least till the all-star break before you, you really start thinking that way. And, and let's face it, the Phillies are only a few games under the 500 mark. You know, if they get through this tough stretch that they're in, you know, they, they face L.A. next. That's going to be a tough series. But if they can, they can hang around that 500 mark, they could be in a position to go into a, a little bit of a run when the schedule gets easier. Uh, and, and, of course, if he's not winning the games that they, they should be winning for sure later on, then, then maybe you want to discuss that jolt around july or so but you know that that joke that jolt could also come from a an acquisition of some sort but i i don't I know I, I feel like girardi had the clout to help move forward with this team to help create a future for this team he was able to speak frankly about the flaws that the the roster has and the organization has and dabrowski seemed to want to listen to him so i i think that's going to be kind of a last resort but i will say this he has no contract for next year and if he makes doesn't make the playoffs, I, I don't think he's back. Uh, or that Joel could be uh, Aaron Nola getting a nice pitching tonight, nice outing tonight against the Mariners. He'll face Robbie Ray. Good pitching matchup at, uh, what's it called out there? Wherever the Mariners Safeco, play. Safeco, I think. Safeco it's still, still called Safeco. Right. <laughs> no, uh, T-Mobile now, right? T-Mobile <laughs> Field in uh, Seattle. All right, that's tonight. Frank's Mailbag every Tuesday here on the Sports Fest. Phillies, Mariners, Nola, and Ray, your pitching matchup on this Tuesday night when the lineup is released. We'll let you know if we get it. Uh, it is a 940 start, so we might not get it by the end of today's show. All right, Frank, take care, man. Enjoy the games tonight. Will do. Phillies and uh, Sixers, both in action. You get a staggered start. 7.30 for the Sixers, 9.40 for the Phillies. So you'll get one and right into the other. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Your text messages are coming in. 609-403-0973. Next hour, could baseball come back to Atlantic City? We got that in about a half hour from now. Also, I want to get into some Eagles stuff on the other side. And football at four in about an hour from now. All that coming up, Sports Bash Live. By the way, no Kyle Lowry tonight. He has been ruled out by the Heat. Joel Embiid will play, of course. We'll get into the Sixers and more. More Sports Bash coming up here on 97.3 ESPN. And download the free 97.3 ESPN mobile app.
This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. Could baseball work again in Atlantic City? We'll talk about that coming up in about a half an hour. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Pass. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973 is the text board. You know, the schedule release is on Thursday. A couple of games have been kind of leaked out there. or Not even leaked out there. The league has... Uh, put these games out there. They put the Christmas Day one out today, and uh, Thursday will be the entire schedule. Now, we do know every team's opponents. We just don't know when they're going to be. Now, CBS Sports tweeted out a graphic today, the strength of schedules. Now, what did you know last year? People talked about the Eagles having this, you know, the easiest schedule in the league. Well, you're going to be having the same argument again this season. According to CBS Sports and whoever puts together, you know, these win percentages, the NFC, four NFC East teams collectively have the easiest schedules in football. The Giants have the 29th. The Eagles have the 30th. And Washington and Dallas both are tied with the easiest schedule in football. The winning percentage for Dallas and Washington of their opponents is 462. Philadelphia's is 464, and New York's is 465. Now, they all play each other. That contributes to the easiness of the schedule. And then, of course, everybody in that division plays the same schedule except for three games now. It used to be two games. Now it's three. The most difficult schedule in football goes to the defending Super Bowl champion, L.A. Rams. The collective winning percentage of the teams they play this year is 567. So they're playing teams that are essentially almost winning 60% of their games. Whereas Philadelphia, Dallas, Washington, New York are playing against teams that are winning about 45% of their games. It's a big difference. Arizona is next. So if you just simply go off of this, all right? Well, the Rams are pretty good. They won the Super Bowl last year. I'd say, okay, 567, though, that's a pretty difficult schedule. But I'm going to put them in the playoffs. Arizona is next. They're at 543. But to me, Arizona's just an okay team. They're good, not great. But the fact that their schedule is pretty difficult, I think Arizona might be a long shot to be a playoff team. How about the Bengals who went to the Super Bowl? Do we automatically now believe in the Bengals? After years of futility, have we just turned on a dime to say, well, let's pencil the Bengals in. They have the third most difficult schedule in football. And let's remember, they didn't have a great regular season. They kind of just snuck into the playoffs and then got hot. Their collective winning percentage of the teams they'll play is 53%, 536. 
But I like the Bengals, so I'm going to kind of be like, all right, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So the two Super Bowl teams I'm putting in. Number four most difficult is Tampa Bay, 535. San Francisco, I'm going to tell you right now, Trey Lance is playing the fifth most difficult schedule in football, and we don't know anything about that kid. Nothing. San Francisco, to me, is taking a dip at the quarterback position. So I think San Francisco being a playoff team, that's a team that went to the NFC Championship game last year. I would say they're kind of up in the air based on the fact that you got a new quarterback and a pretty difficult schedule. Kansas City is the fifth most difficult at 533. They have changed the complexion of their whole team. You know, they went from a team that had Tyreek Hill, Tyron Matthew, couple of veteran players that they could count on to a bunch of unknowns now. So I think that's a team to kind of keep an eye on with one of the more difficult schedules in all of football. The Raiders are next at 528. And here's an interesting one. The Saints. The Saints are tied for the most seventh most difficult schedule in football. The collective winning percentage of their teams is 528. Now, why is that one to keep an eye on? Josh, you know the answer to the question. The Saints winning percentage, 528? No, the teams that they're playing, the collective winning percentage of their schedule. This is the strength of schedule. Oh, the strength of schedule. Yeah, they have the seventh most difficult schedule in football. Well, they play in the same division as Tom Brady. Well, that's one. But why are we taking a closer look at the Saints? Why is it important that we look at the Saints and their schedule? Because we own their draft pick. Because the Eagles own their draft pick. It's like Carson Wentz all over again. Exactly. And the Saints play the seventh most difficult schedule in football based on last year's opponents. So you get a little excited. Well, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. I like the strength of schedule we saw last year. I said I thought the Eagles had a chance to make the playoffs. Why? Not because I thought they were a great team. It's because I thought the teams they were playing were all that good. Right. And as I chronicled at the beginning of this segment, the Eagles have the second easiest schedule in all of football this year based on winning percentage of last year. So we thought their schedule last year was easy. It's actually weaker this year. Yeah, and part of the reason why it's weaker is because you look at some of the opponents and you realize that, man, you're playing... The Jags in the Bay. Now, the Jags are probably better than last year, but, I mean, you you can only go up from how horrible they were last year. Right, and, and that's why, the just because their winning percentage was from last year, it doesn't mean they're going to be the same team this year. Like last year, the Eagles had four wins the year before, so if they were on your schedule, your strength of schedule looked weak. Well, now they won nine games, so now your strength of schedule, you know, it, it, it equals out a little bit, but... The thing with the Saints is having the seventh most difficult schedule is this is a team in transition. They're, they're, you know, they, they transitioned from Breeze last year. Now they have a new head coach and they've got to navigate themselves through a pretty difficult schedule. So that's something to keep an eye on. So in the top 10 most difficult schedules, one, two, three, four, five, six of them are on the NFC side. Six of the top 10 most difficult schedules are NFC teams. That also bodes well for the Eagles. As it does. As I kind of was researching this earlier, I said, man, you got L.A. and Arizona and San Francisco. They're all in the same division because obviously the NFC West has to play teams in the uh, 
I don't know who their crossovers are without having the schedules up in front of me, but that's three teams right there that are all in the same division, and they all have difficult schedules, where last year two of those teams made the playoffs. Well, the fact that San Francisco has the fourth most difficult schedule, they got a new quarterback, does that mean that division maybe only gets one this year? Well, that's the part of the other thing with San Francisco. They still haven't traded Jimmy G. So is Jimmy the quarterback? I don't know. I mean, all signs are pointing to that he will not be back. The signs are pointing, but he's still there, which is perplexing. It is. I don't know why they... The more I kind of zone in on this story, because it is a fascinating story, that you want to get rid of a quarterback that took you to a Super Bowl, you want to get rid of a quarterback that got you to the NFC Championship game. Right. They all, drafted, all because you traded up all those picks. Yeah, but my question guy. is, did Shanahan make that decision, or was that something John Lynch did? I mean, I would assume that they're working in concert with each other the way they talk. So. And if they made the trade to move up, did they do it not on the same page of which quarterback they wanted? I mean, it's always possible. I mean, I would go under the assumption that Shanahan wanted Trey Lance because the 49ers went and ran his pro day last year. So they were pretty zoned in on him in the first place. Well, there's a lot of reports that Shanahan essentially doesn't think Lance is ready. And that's why he's trying to hold on to Garoppolo. Well, then maybe uh, Garoppolo will be there next year. But can you carry that much money on the on the ledger if you weren't predict if you weren't planning to have him there? It's a really weird situation that here we are almost into June now, and Garoppolo's still just hanging around on the roster. Yet they sound as if they are committed to go to Trey Lance. It's a very perplexing situation. I don't know how to read it 100 percent because of the fact that you know they say one thing, but they're doing something else. Well. Lance in the games that he played last year, I wouldn't say was all that inspiring. He was okay. Right. I mean, in the game he played, he played in he had two starts last year. Yeah, the Houston game and what was the other one? He started against Arizona. Arizona. The Arizona right. game he was not all that good. The Houston game he was now you're playing the worst team in the league. The Houston game he was better. He had four touchdowns and two interceptions um in those or, Four touchdowns and one interception in those two starts. I think he started two games. I think he appeared in like six games. On the year, he threw for 600 yards. He had five touchdowns, two interceptions, and he completed 57% of his passes. Now, he ran 38 times in the games that he played, ran for a touchdown, ran for 168 yards. So he had 38 carries for 168 yards. Here's the thing. And Jeremy Fowler reported this, I don't know, what's today, May 10th, this was about a month or so ago, that he has indications that Lance will be the starter. Okay. There's been some talk that they can't trade Garoppolo because he had shoulder surgery. Right. So teams want to know, what are we getting with Jimmy Garoppolo? Right. So do you go in the training camp, play him in the preseason, and then trade him? See, and this is where I think San Francisco's in a weird spot, is if I have Garoppolo on the team and he went to the NFC Championship game and he's been to a Super Bowl, do I just bench him? If he's on my roster, don't I, aren't I inclined to play him? You have to play him, don't you? It would seem to be the way to go, 
But again, John Lynch said of Trey Lance, we believe he's ready. Now, I know they have to say all the right things, but what do you say to Jimmy Garoppolo? What do you say telling Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, it's just a weird situation. Well, Jimmy had that final press conference of the year where he turned around and acted like it was like his farewell yeah. press conference. And what, three, four months later, he's still there. <laughs> well, the shoulder surgery definitely comes into play here, right? That he couldn't be traded because you don't know how healthy he is. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that throws a wrench into the whole situation. You know, the Colts, they said they didn't pursue Garoppolo uh, because of the recovery timeline. That's another thing. What if Garoppolo's not healthy enough to play? That's a whole other concern. Right. That's a whole other avenue. That that's you why I was saying, is it a deal where you, you play him in the preseason as a showcase to say, hey, guys, he's healthy. Now come trade him. I don't know. if he, What if he's not ready in August? If he's not ready by August, we have a whole other problem. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, if he's not ready, I think it's put, it, it, it is, and they have the fourth most difficult schedule in football, and that's what I'm saying. If I'm Shanahan, don't I want to go with the guy that I feel at least can handle, like, navigating me through the rough waters? If you want to win, you want Garoppolo to be the quarterback. But if you're willing to go through a season of transition and bumps, yeah. It's Lance. I thought that story, you know, and I looked at the schedules here. They were a team uh, that stood out to me. They have the fifth most difficult schedule in football. They have, now, of all the other teams, the Rams, Stafford. The Cardinals, we think Murray, but most likely Murray. It's Murray, but it's going to be a season of turmoil for them. Cincinnati, Burrow. Buccaneers, Fox's newest <laughs> Analyst Tom <laughs> yes. Brady. I'm sure that'll come up uh, maybe during the headlines today. We can get a little deeper. It's on the list. Um, San Francisco, up in the air. Next up, Kansas City, Mahomes, Raiders, Carr, Saints, up in the air. So I think of the teams in the top 10, number uh, nine, the Saints and the Raiders are tied for seventh. Okay. Number nine, Atlanta, Mariota. Number 10, is the, the Chargers. So I'm looking at, in those top 10, Atlanta, the Saints, and the San Francisco 49ers, they have the three most unsettling quarterback situations in that group of 10. So that tells me, if I'm just saying, hey, I know it's May, but they have the most difficult schedules, and they have the three quarterbacks that are the most unsettled. To me, those three are out of the playoff mix. Definitely Atlanta, because I... I think Atlanta is completely botching this rebuild. I think that they are, they are. Well, Arthur Smith knows Mariota, so that's probably. Uh, well, it's not much as Mariota. It's the fact that this is now two straight years they've gone into the draft and they haven't prioritized it an abysmal offensive line. Oh, agree with that. I'm just saying, like they went with. Then they draft. Um, they drafted a wide receiver. They drafted a wide receiver, yeah. Right. So, and, and they drafted um, Desmond Ritter in the later round. That's right. So they're, they're they're going future quarterback and wide receiver in a draft where they could have beefed up the offensive line. They t- oh, they took London, Drake London. Yeah, Drake London. Yeah, I was trying to remember. Jamison Williams went to Detroit. Uh, Drake London, he went there. So they got Pitts. Now they got London. So they're starting to build, you know, the offense in a certain way. 
they got some big physical guys with Pitts in London. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the theory is, is that it doesn't matter if the offensive line can block as long as the receivers get Yeah, open. I don't know what the I... direction of that organization is, but my point <laughs> going back to is they have the ninth most difficult schedule in football. So to me, the Falcons aren't a playoff team. To me, the Saints, even if they have a good, solid team, they have some instability at the quarterback spot. They have right. a new coach, and they have the seventh most difficult schedule in football. And then the 49ers situation. So that, to me, opens, you know, three possible – no, not three because the Saints and the Falcons didn't make the playoffs last year. But that's three teams in the NFC that I think you have a better path to the playoffs than those teams. All right? Sure. Then you got the Seahawks. They have the 11th most difficult schedule. Well, Drew Locke's their quarterback. So I don't feel good if I'm a Seahawk fan. Definitely not. Twelfth most difficult schedule, Carolina. Really quick on Seattle, would you feel better if Baker was your quarterback? No. All right. Slightly, but still don't think they'd be a playoff team. Gotcha. How many more wins do you think Baker would get than Drew Locke? Like two? I was going to say two to three. Okay. I'm going to get to Baker here shortly. Um, Carolina, Sam Darnold, they have the twelfth most difficult schedule in football. Translation, Carolina ain't making the playoffs. All right? The next bunch of teams are AFC teams. The next NFC team is number 20, Kirk Cousins. I think the Vikings could be a playoff team this year. New coaching staff, refurbished roster. could definitely But a lot of the same faces. You got Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen. Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. I feel like... The easy schedule with that core group of guys. Um, Their offense is going to be really good again. Well, think about where they went on draft night, too. Like, this is a team that has had all sorts of issues. um, All sorts of issues on the offensive line and on the safety side. Well, their first three picks, and the secondary, I should say. Their first three picks, they went safety with... um, Lewis Seen from Georgia, Andrew Booth. They got him in the second round, the corner from Clemson, and they went with an offensive guard, Ed Ingram. So they addressed offensive line and secondary. So I think Minnesota feels like a team that's going to be a playoff team. I wonder. I should write these down on May the tenth to see if I'm right. Based, I'm just solely going off the strength of schedule here because everybody said, "Oh, the Eagles only got in because of the strength of schedule." So if we're going to play that game. This is the, let's take a look at it, right? Right. So my six, well, seven playoff teams, right? There's seven. So far, I got the Rams. Mm-hmm. I've got the Vikings. Tampa Bay. I got the Vikings, and I got Dallas and Philly. That's five. You need two more. I got two more spots. Green Bay. That would be six. Their their strength of schedule is twenty two. 478. They also got that guy Aaron Rodgers. And they got Rodgers. That means there's one spot left between San Francisco, New Orleans, Atlanta, Seattle, Carolina, Chicago, Detroit, Giants, Washington, Arizona. My first instinct would be to say... So I think Philadelphia and Dallas are both playoff teams. My first instinct would be to say I would honestly lean toward one of the NFC West teams because if Garoppolo plays this year, I feel like they're in. And if Arizona can figure anything out, 
they have a chance to be back in for the second straight year. Right. Uh, well, let's see. Again, Arizona has the second most difficult schedule in football. San Francisco has the fifth most difficult schedule in football. Right. And then Seattle is 11th. So does that push a team that's maybe not as talented on paper into the playoff mix? Detroit Lions, what? They have the 28th most difficult schedule in football. Dan Campbell, they were competitive last year. It is. This is the bottom up. It is Dallas is the easiest with Washington. They are tied for the easiest. Okay. Philadelphia's next, then the Giants, then Detroit. I mean, Detroit's made a lot of additions in the last couple of years to improve that roster. Well, they went out and got, obviously, And they got Aiden a real Hutchinson. offensive line now. They've got Aiden Hutchinson and Jamison Williams. The question is, can Goff make enough plays? I mean, I think Goff, you can win games with him. I don't think he's you know a, the greatest quarterback in the world, but I think he's certainly more than serviceable, right? Well, these are my... So my seven playoff teams, based solely on strength of schedule, I'm going Dallas, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Green Bay, Los Angeles, Tampa Bay. That's six. And one more. Mm, That last one is very tough. The last one is very tough. I mean, are you... Is is part of your thinking about Washington here? No, I would be more... Well, Washington would be... Like Washington or Arizona? Yeah. Washington has the easiest schedule in all of football. Washington's not a bad bad direction by you there. I totally forgot about the whole Washington... Ron wins. Rivera. I like what... Um, they, they added uh, Jahan Dotson to be across from Terry McLaurin. I, I mean, I think Washington for the last couple of years has had a solid... They've had a very good defense... They have a solid team. They just have had poor quarterback play or mediocre quarterback play. Below average. And they've had a lot of injury problems, too. A lot of injury problems. Below average quarterback play. Taylor Heineke is the guy they were leaning on for a while. If the Wentz that threw went 27-7, and even a lesser version of that shows up. Yeah. And watch, let's, let's say he goes 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's still way better than Washington has had for years. I see the comments. Um strength of schedule where's your team jeff tweets wow how did the eagles have such an easy schedule if they made the playoffs last year what am i missing here well look at the teams that made the playoffs last year dallas has the easiest schedule in football right right tennessee they were the number one seed they have the 24th easiest schedule in all of football um green bay made the playoffs last year their schedule is one of the easiest in football so it's not based on people still don't understand this. Your schedule is not based on where you finished in the standings. It's based on who is your scheduled opponents for next year. Those are predetermined. Like years ahead of time. Way ahead of time. There's only three games on your schedule that are based on where you finished in the standings. So people are like, well, you have a last place schedule. That only affects three games. It used to only be two. It's now three right. because of the extra game. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. When we come back, could baseball work again in Atlantic City? Would you support baseball if it returned to AC? Nick Cuba from the Press of Atlantic City, they wrote about it today. They asked you to vote. We'll see how that voting's going right now. And what are some of the challenges keeping 
baseball from coming back to the resort. That's coming up next here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to more For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. Nick Cuba is the news and digital editor for the Press of Atlantic City. Uh, he, along with uh, Eric Conklin, wrote a piece asking, would you support baseball if it returned to Atlantic City? The Sandcastle Stadium still sits pretty much vacant. They do have uh, Atlantic Cape Community College plays over there, and they have some youth tournaments that are going on over there from time to time. But in terms of a full-time resident, what are the chances we see baseball back in the resort? Let's bring Nick Cuba in and have the conversation here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Nick, what's going on, bud? Nothing. Long time no speak, man. Good I know. to talk to you again. I know. I feel like it's been way too long. I saw this piece, and it's always something that uh, – is drawn to my attention seeing that ballpark sit over there and yearning for the days of having ball baseball back. Now, let's get this out there. Is there any murmurs or talk that that's a possibility, or was this story more written because of all the discussion that is happening surrounding Bader Field? Um, the latter, honestly. Like, we had a couple of years ago, I think I referred to when the pieces when um, Frank Bolton originally, like, kind of pitched the idea of coming back and things like that. And then the pandemic hit, and all those talks basically died, it sounds like. Um, yeah, we were kind of talking about Bader Field, like we do, like, for anything. And I was thinking, like, well, what's going on over there? Like, that's a huge investment they made, like, 16 million bucks years ago, and it's kind of just sitting there. You know, sure, Atlantic Cape Community College does a great job playing their games there. But also, don't forget, Atlantic Cape Community College is raising money yes. to build their own on-campus site. So how long will they be a tenant there? Not very much longer if things go well for them, you know, when they're building that program continuously. I don't know. You know, you were here during the heyday of the surf. I was here a little bit. Could it support a full-time minor league team? And I don't mean a Atlantic League team. I mean a minor league team, like a affiliated minor league team. That has been one of the big problems. Everybody has an opinion, Nick. You know this, where, well, if it was an affiliated thing, do you think it would work if it was affiliated? And by the way, there are hurdles and challenges to get an affiliated team. That's a problem. Correct. And one of them, you have to have the Phillies basically sign off on it because it's inside that little, like, um, the radius of, from their ballpark and stuff. Do I think it'll work? Would it work with a minor league affiliated team? Right. The fine work now. Now, work. <sighs> I mean, okay. Is Lake, you is what Lake would have. Right. I was going to say, you are familiar with Lake Hall, now Jersey Shore. I don't know what they draw. I don't know how successful they are. But, you know, they are about the same distance as we are from Philly. But the Phillies are an affiliate with them. So does that work there? Uh, I don't think it would work there if the Phillies want to move out of Lakewood. And Lakewood, honestly, like, I covered Lakewood for years at my prior newspaper. And the attendance at the Lakewood last Jersey Shore Blue Claws, it was always the top tenants and then Sally Lake, the South Atlantic Lake. So they do really well. Like, they'll, on a Friday night with fireworks in the summer, it is packed. Why do they do well? You know? Why? 
I think it is because they put a good product on the field, honestly. And for a geek like me, and I think anyone who knows me knows this, I love player development because I was a former Expos fan and now a Nationals fan. The night Bryce Harper went through an A-ball when he came through with Hagerstown, that place was sold out all three nights. And, you know, you have to sell to who your audience is. And what Lakewood does really well is what Atlantic City does not do well on a lot of, a lot of things. They sell to the family. You know, you guys are staying in Seaside. You don't want to go to the boardwalk tonight. Let's go to the baseball game. That's a lot of it, too. Like, that's a large percentage of people that come in, and they're constantly updating that ballpark. That ballpark offers different things every year. Like, I haven't been up there this year, but, like, last year they added, I think, a miniature golf course for the kids, you know? And it's fun. It moves fast. You know, it's everything you could want in a baseball game right now. Yeah, see, I've never been to a game there, so I can't really – I don't know the area all as well to say, is there as much distraction? Is there much going on? Is there as much happening right. in that town or that area where, obviously, Atlantic City's challenges? Well, there's so much other things to do. Different challenges. Let's, let's, let's highlight that. Lakewood is a multi-Orthodox community, mm-hmm. like, and they do not, you know, if anyone who's followed Lakewood knows that, it's like, I think, might be 70, 80% Orthodox at this point in time. That prevent, prevents a challenge to when you're filling attendance roles, because those people, um, the Orthodox community is not going to go to the baseball games. They're just, it's not culturally what they do. That is one attendance. They're drawing mostly from the brick Toms River seaside area during the summer. A lot of like South Toms River, lower Monmouth County, like McGarry's hometown of Howell, like those kind of places. Right. That's where their primary like um, population base they draw from is. And also the summer residents. The summer people come on vacation there. You know, mom and dad don't want to go to the boardwalk for the fifth straight night in seaside. You know, let's try something different. Let's run over the baseball game. Um, because it's a Phillies affiliate. Does that draw, or does it not I mean, matter? Like, if they were an Atlantic League team and they were happened to be in Lakewood, would it draw the same, or does that Phillies affiliate have drawing power? I think it's got cachet. Yeah. Because don't forget, like, like you sent rehab guys through there. I mean, Cole Hamels went there a couple times through there as a rehab guy. So yeah, but that's Brian like a game Howard or two. Him. I mean, that's not a whole season. Yeah, yeah but, you, but you have a connection. And if you're a fan, say, like, my, my son's a, a huge Phillies fan. My son loves going to go to a Blue Claws game to watch the next guy. Mm-hmm. We always get excited about the magical prospects as baseball fans. Like, remember, we all Phillies fans chased Don Brown for five years to get him and not trade him. But and we saw that on out. the flip side, Nick, you're also a wrestling fan, and you know the nostalgia that people like to see that old guy that one more time, or that, and that's what the Atlantic League brought. You you saw Ricky Henderson and Jose Canseco, yeah. you know. I, I guess I was never a big Atlantic League guy. Like, and maybe that's because I like the minor league baseball, like the affiliated stuff and, and the like geeky baseball America prospects guide, which I get every well, year. I agree. Uh, certainly affiliated over non-affiliate is perf- the preferred way to go. There's no question about that. But, but here's the thing. The Sandcastle, it worked for a while. They had successful seasons. Now, why did it end as they did? The economy kind of crashed. Like, they ran into a real perfect storm, I think, when they ended, like, how it kind of went downhill. And, you know, now here's the question. Who's going to put the money up? And don't forget, you need improvements on that park, too. Yeah, talk about that, because that's been one of the challenges over there. People have said, well, why not do this there? Why not? Well, they don't have lights. They don't have a scoreboard. I don't know what the underbelly of that stadium looks like. I mean, there was a time where it was you couldn't use it at all. They have fixed it to where you can play games there and use the concourse. But I don't know what the offices in the locker room areas look like. 
I, that's one thing I really don't know either. And one of the things that's interesting, it always, the only thing I've over the last like five years that we've only heard talked about was the lights and the scoreboard. It's going to cost X amount of millions of dollars. I think it was like one point something. I said in the story. But who's going to put me, that uh, up? Let me real quick see if I can find that uh, in the story. Just to... I have it up to it. I could kind of like go through it. Uh, yeah, but who's going to put that up? You're asking an investor to come in and bankroll an independent league team or a minor league team, and that's no small financial thing. And then you're going to ask on top of that for one point something million dollars to fix the lights mm-hmm. and the scoreboard. You're asking right, investors and to, to be now. clear, Nick. That has been the the city is not adverse, but they want the new team to fix it. Well, the city. Okay, well, two things. They want them to fix it, and I don't know if they have the cash on hand to fix it. That's okay. two different issues. All right. Because remember, when we first started talking about this, the city was in the worst financial crisis of any city in the state. And, you know, it's a lot better, but do they have one point something million sitting around to, to go to a project like that when they have other issues they need to address? Right. Obviously, uh, that would be frivolous uh, with some of the other things. You wrote in the piece, uh, the stadium needs about one million worth of repairs to the scoreboard and the lighting system, uh, city officials have stated. In 2012, the light poles and the scoreboard were removed and deemed unsafe after Superstorm Sandy. We all know, uh, I guess, the story of the surf leaving. They basically left in the middle of the night. They didn't do mm-hmm. anything. And one day they woke up and the stadium was in a state of disrepair. Well, they remember that people living in the concourse boxes. Yeah. Oh, like, it was like, a mess. Yeah, like, it was a mess. And But part you know, of it was, that- correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, the team left and basically never winterized the place. The place like had pipes that burst and just molded Correct. the place out. So it was people living in there on top of the fact that the the previous tenant just walked out on the place. And they needed to, for there were safety reasons why they had to do all that stuff. Like it wasn't like a, an aesthetics thing. They had to do these things for safety reasons. You can't have pipes bursting and flooding a facility. Like that's a safety issue. Yeah. I, I I like the surf like how do you use for life here? But what do you do next? Like you've been over there to call games, right? Like uh, I've been the in the place. Camp. I've been in the place plenty since. I mean, I actually toured the place when it was in a state of disrepair. I saw what it looked like firsthand, and to where it is now, it, it, you know, they've done a great job of getting it to where it is now. I'll say that. And, and it's a usable facility. Yes, for like what you got for what Atlantic Cape Community College is using it for. It is the perfect facility for them. It's probably the biggest. Um, the biggest stadium that anyone has in that league, like, and it's a great, it's a, if anyone's ever actually been in there and looked out over the horizon to see the casinos and mm-hmm. see the water, it is an amazing, it's, it's up there with a carry, carry stadium in Ocean City as like iconic things you can actually like stadiums that you can go in. Now the question is, what are you using it for? Right. Now some of the, I gotta be honest, um, you know, and, and in your piece uh, that you guys wrote, you know, there's this and you're a Formula One guy, I'm not so much in that racing world, but I have been underwhelmed with a lot of the proposals of what to do with that place. Well, there are some of them are underwhelming, and here's the thing, like, do you when you talk Formula One, you talk a track or you talk a race? Because don't forget, like, when you go get the Formula One brand, you have to pay them. Yeah. You have to pay them a, a race fee. Which can run in excess of like thirty-five to forty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Atlantic City, and you also have to look at it like this: is are they going to come here and have a race? Probably not in the near future. They've got Vegas, they got Miami, which was incredibly successful this weekend, and yep. you have Austin. 
they're not adding a fourth race to America right away. They still have they have whole other continents they have to add race. Like there's a talk of doing one in Africa in South Africa. I don't. The, you know, this is another proposal we've seen. We've seen other ones. Remember, you can go back to when Penn Gaming wanted to buy it and put two more casinos back there. So, you know, well, on top of the Formula One, which is the one you guys wrote about in this piece, you could check out the yeah. piece over at PressOfAtlanticCity.com, by the way, and vote in their poll whether or not you would support baseball if it returned. The proposal calls for the construction of a 2.44-mile Formula One race course and has townhouses and condos overlooking the waterway with affordable housing and renewable energy amenities. Uh, they're also exploring the idea of pickleball courts at Baderfield. I don't know how much room that's going to take up, but I mean, unless you're putting yeah. huh. 500 pickleball courts out there, yeah, it's not good. They, they, they actually have the um, Stay Hungry League court out there too. So right. they've got other things, you know. Yeah, you finished because well, I know there was a question coming. Well, yeah. So I mean, I said before, like I think some of the stuff has been underwhelming, but are they just looking so desperately to get something there? Does that have any ties to the Sandcastle, or is the Sandcastle going to sit there regardless? The state says in the story, in the story, basically, they're going like the the fate of the sandcastle is kind of tied to like what happens there, you know, like, you know, as Lisa Ryan said, the future of the sandcastle site is subject to the decision relative to Baderfield redevelopment proposal. Hmm. You know, if nothing happens, it's going to continue to operate as a baseball stadium. That's debatable because after Atlanta Cape Community College, what else is it going to be used by? Who else is it going to be used by? A baseball stadium that has no tenant and no lights and no scoreboard. Now, here's one of the things, like, uh, maybe I'm shooting, like, in the dark. I'm, I grew up in the Shore Conference. I, like, anyone who knows me knows. I grew up in Tundra South, baseball baseball guy. Um, the Shore Conference Tournament Final used to, I think it still is, or used to be held in Lakewood. And so the Ocean County Final. And so the Monmouth County Final. Why can't we use that site for the Cape Atlantic League Final? Do they have a Cape Atlantic League Baseball Tournament at this point? They ju- yes, I think they, or the Hartman. They were talking. I think they do have the Cape Atlantic League tournament coming okay. up. Or, I know they talked about it, and then it didn't happen because of. I don't know if they brought it back. COVID. Yeah, I think I think they brought it back, but I could be wrong. Um, but like, why can't we have the Hartman final there? I, and look, it's funny you say that because I just got done talking to someone about the Hartman. They, you know, and and I said, you know, it's weird. I feel like there's no buzz or talk about this Hartman, and part of it is they're not. The games are. All over the place. They're not on the same day. It's you schedule it when you can. Play it at your home field. It's mm-hmm. not like, hey, let's do it at 10, 1, 4, and 7 at the same place and make a day out of it. It's all just kind of, hey, uh, we have a day off on our schedule. Do you? Let's play it on that day. Like it, It's very disconjointed, I feel. I I don't want to turn this into a Hartman discussion. The Hartman's a great event and great teams, and it's usually like one of the best baseball tournaments you get in the state because you have so many different leagues involved, unlike – the short conference, which just has there involved. I think one of the issues on the Hartman sometimes is teams kind of looking at it the way they look at it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you value going, going to use this with like, if you're a public school and playing use this when you have two games the next week that are divisional games, like, like where does it fit in the priority list of our teams? Fair. And you know, you know, I, I've heard stories that people have sent, like, you know, they, they've gotten kind of the game's gotten out of line against use this next put the JV squad in like, you know, and you know, that talking to high school coaches, like what is your value on the Hartman? Is your, is your Hartman, the value on the Hartman to win it or to put a, win a couple of games like, or is your value more on the three divisional games you have coming up that weekend or la- the rest of that week? Yeah. I mean, 
overall, the facility, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would say, hey, we'd love to play there. We'll do stuff there. But without the lights and the scoreboard, it does make it difficult. Well, it does. And, and that makes it difficult for high schools, too. Like, like you know, you start at 4 o'clock. You've been through some of these games. Like, you know, they, they can go on forever, you know. And you're running up against it. And the worst thing to do is have, like, one of those kind of games called off. Like, we can't play anymore because of darkness. Like, you, you coach those kids. Like, my son's 11. Like, you haven't sat. That's why they have time on the major league, little league, Cal Ripken league games. Like, they right. can go Well, on and though I, I do think – that there is some allure to some of the high schools playing their games under the lights. We saw Cedar Creek play uh, Oakcrest there last week. Yeah. We've seen Mainland do a game or two. Ocean City played middle. Like, I think that they should try to play some more of these games under the light, and that would be a place, if you had a Friday night game of the week and it was at the Sandcastle, that could be an event every Friday that people could get excited about. Why not run the coaches or a cancer out of there? Or something like There's that. plenty like, of ideas. Now, I guess yeah. to bring it back to the beginning, would you support baseball if it returned to Atlantic City was what you were voting on? Do you think that if they put a team back in there that it would regenerate excitement? Hmm. I'm not going to hedge this. I think it will generate excitement in the short term. I wonder how long that excitement goes on. Let me ask you this. Do you deem that the blackjacks were working. I mean, they folded through no fault of their own. They folded because the league folded. Do you think that they were working at Boardwalk Hall? Yes, I do. And I thought they deserved the second season. Yeah, well, they didn't They didn't fold because of them. They folded because no. of, the, of the league. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by the turnouts and the attendance for the games. Now, do I think that would translate to baseball? I don't. Well, let's also go through this, though. Like, like that gets back, you're getting to a point that's very obvious with Atlantic City. Now, do you consider the MAC tournament a success? Uh, I got to be honest. I was there for the finals. I thought that was very well attended. I heard the games the night before was well attended. I do not know what the early games were like, so I can't really but early, see. But, but in fairness, like... Early games at any conference tournament, True. the Big Twelve. Yep, ACC, you're right. You're, you're not going. There's barely. There's it's what we call friends and family. Yep, you're like, right. You're absolutely uh, right about that. So yeah, the game I was at, I thought it was a great atmosphere, and I would deem that to be. I I was surprised. Put it this way, I was waiting in line to get in the place, which I don't think I've ever waited in line wow. to get into a sporting event for Boardwalk Hall. No, I I I think it's been a success. You know, they've had bad luck. You know, a lot of this stuff comes down to luck too. You know, is the, is the MAC a successful thing? Well, look, they had two pandemic tournaments, basically, and this one was kind of a lot better. The surf had issues, and they ran into the financial crisis. Uh-huh. Like, these things happen, and, and it's almost like sometimes Atlantic City gets snake bit. Look, the Blackjack's the same thing. No fault of their own. Thought the product was moving well. The league faults. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, and, I, again, as I said, I was pleasantly surprised the game, I went to about three games, I want to say, three, four mm-hmm. games maybe, and every game I went to, I said, okay, there's people here. This is, all right, I'm I'm, I'm impressed. Like, um, And I heard the game that I didn't go to, Philly and Atlantic City, was very well attended, and I was concerned because I think it was like 4th of July weekend. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, they, they're trying. They're, they're trying. You know, one thing Creta has done over the last couple of years, and I know Creta becomes a punching bag because it's Creta. 
But, like, they've invested in some sports. Like, you know what I mean? They're having tournaments at the convention center, like some AAU stuff. They're also having, like, the Max thing, I think it was a good thing, you know? You have the blackjacks. It's no fault of anybody's that these things didn't, these things failed. Yeah. You know, and, and I want to consider the Mac a failure, and I'll recast that. But, like, the reason the blackjacks folded was because the league folded. Yeah. Oh, no, the blackjacks, it was no fault of their own. Uh, Mac is coming back, so hopefully, um, I thought the game, the championship game was well attended on that Saturday afternoon. It was, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of energy. The place was into the game. Uh, we'll see what happens, uh, moving forward with that. Check out the piece over at pressofatlanticcity.com, uh, on if baseball returned, would you support it? And, uh, some of the ideas that could happen there. All right. Nick Cuba, good to catch up, man. I'll talk to you later, man. Bye. All right, bud. Nick Huber from the Press of Atlantic City here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 3 ESPN. All right, coming up next hour, we'll talk a little Eagles, a little NFL. The schedule comes out on Thursday. The Eagles rookie minicamp is all in the books. We'll discuss with Jeff Mosher coming up here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can download the app in the Apple Store or Google Play. Check us out at 973ESPN.com slash app. Hey, I'm going to tell you about Caesar Sportsbook. Your first bet with Caesar Sportsbook is risk-free up to $1,100. Download the app and use the promo code Radio CZR. That's Radio CZR. And then place your first bet. If you win, congrats. But if not, you'll get your wager back as a free bet. Must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. New users only bet amount of qualifying wager return only if the wager is settled as a loss. Paid as a single bet credit must be used within 14 days. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Downloaded, people. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. I think our track record in the last 20 years, how many NFC East titles, playoff appearances, and appearances in the NFC Championship game, those are some of the metrics I look at, and um, I'll compare our record with uh, almost anybody. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. This is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It is brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding Windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up online at eastcoastroofing.com. I'm Mike Gill. Football at Four, Jeff Mosher is here. A lot of moving parts in the front office. Also, the rookie mini camps are in the books. What's next for the Eagles this offseason? Some more NFL stuff to get into here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Let's bring in Jeff Mosher for another edition of Football at Four. There's always football going on. What's going on, Jeff Mosher? How are you? 
Mike Gill, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I know that, um, you know, the Sixers play tonight. The Phillies won last night, but there's always a spot for the Eagles in this area. The thirst is always there. You guys had your podcast over at InsideTheBirds.com that dropped yesterday. And one of the things uh, you talked about is the front office moving parts, a lot of things happening over there. And I'm kind of interested from your perspective on where this front office is, you know, because I think a lot of people felt that they've had a successful draft and offseason, and now there's all this transition going on there, and people are already uh, not the biggest Howie Roseman fan, so all these moving parts around him, how significant is this? Well, it is significant as far as, I mean, the front office, the scouting department, the personnel department, analytics department, everybody that makes up the front office, although fans don't know a lot of the names and faces, These are the people that at the end of the day decide which direction the franchise is going in. They are the ones that are ranking players, that are rating players, and um, deciding what players that the coaches need. And to do that, they have to sit there and watch tape and give their opinions, and um, everybody's got a role. There are so many players between the draft and free agency and then there's the forgotten part of personnel, which is, you know, when you play t- the, the advanced scouts, you play a team every week. You have scouts two weeks or three weeks in advance checking out those teams and checking out those players. So you have a, a lot of people that make up a front office and a scouting personnel staff, um, and they all have specific roles and they all do um, really important work. And when you have to replace as many people as the Eagles will be replacing in one offseason – as you mentioned, especially coming off what is generally seen as two pretty good drafts and not too many free agent blunders over the last year or two, maybe one or two here could have been better, but um, it, it does make you concerned about what direction the franchise is going in when you lose that many people. Yeah, Jeff, so what do we know about some of the changes and who's coming in and who's going out and how this will all kind of look and work uh, when we're settled in? Well, we're we're yet to see how it's going to look and work. There are a lot of names that have already been um, uh, we we've reported on. There are some names that they'll continue to get interviews. Uh, they did hire someone to be a, um, so we understand it, like a director of player personnel uh, underneath what Andy Weidel's job is, which is vice president of player personnel. And um, that guy is from uh, who has been working in the Cleveland Browns front office the last two years. His name is Charles Walls. So he comes to uh, the Eagles here. Um, you know, as I know Adam and I had reported on certain promotions that are happening within the staff. Alan Wolking, who's been with the staff, is likely to get promoted. Um, they have Dave Caldwell, who was a general manager from, from the Jaguars there, uh, likely to get promoted. And um, as we speak right now, they're looking for what I understand, someone to be kind of like Howie Roseman's right-hand man, like an assistant general manager type of position now let me stop uh, you right there let me ask you a question about that is -hmm. that something that he seeks out or do they say we're going to give you someone to be your right hand man because if i'm finding a right hand man don't i want someone that i feel comfortable with not someone you gave me when you say you gave me who's the you anybody anybody other than me well Okay, so the owner, I, I guess the uh, owner, uh, I get what you're saying. Well, whoever, I don't know, somebody right. under somebody below me gave, you know what I'm saying? Other than the owner, who's above, who's. Oh, so you're saying how is Andy Weidel going to react to this? No, or, how would Roseman, how? like mm-hmm. if you said to, if I'm Roseman and you, Jeff Mosher, said, 
hey, we're going to give you, we're going to appoint you a right-hand man. And I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. well, don't I get to pick my own, a guy that I trust? Well, this is Howie's pick. Okay. I, yeah, so I'm That's sorry, what I I'm getting to. Make yeah. No, this is certainly Howie's pick. Um, I know they haven't had an assistant general manager role before, uh, but you are seeing teams create that position now more so than before. In fact, the Eagles lost two executives to that position. They lost Ian Cunningham to the Bears for that position, and they lost Brandon Brown to the Giants for that position. So uh, the the things that are important to Howie and Jeffrey, and they've articulated it, is getting younger, um, getting you know diverse as a staff, as a front office, and also, as I've been told, you know, they're, they're trying to be a little bit more, whether it's cutting edge or forward thinking, uh, a little less old hat in their ways of scouting. So, uh, so anyway, Brandon Brown from, from Pittsburgh, who is a high ranking executive in their, their scouting chain was, was here over the weekend interviewing. Uh, it's my understanding that Morocco Brown, who's the college scouting director for the Colts is interviewing, I believe today, uh, with the, with the Eagles. I know he's supposed to interview and I'm pretty sure he's here in the building today. Um, so, and then there may be, maybe somebody else. Uh, they had uh, a guy named Rand Carthon on their, uh, their, their radar, but I'm not sure he may have been blocked uh, by San Francisco to, to interview because I'm not sure uh, he's going to be in the building or, or talking to them, mm-hmm. but he was somebody who was on their radar. Right. So for that AGM job. Right. So uh, you mentioned the guy from Cleveland walls. He basically, I don't want to say flip flops with Catcher and Ray because they have different, do they have different roles or is he fulfilling her role? Yeah, no, she was uh, director of football ad- administration here, and she's going to hold a pretty high title in Cleveland, as we understand it. He is, Charles Walls is coming here to be more of a, per- a player personnel, strictly person, uh, you know, that director of player personnel type of title um, to have here at the Eagles. So that involves, you know, basically scouting, you know, and, and both college and pro. Um, obviously, you know, you got a completely new look that, to, to this front office here. So I guess I'll ask you, how much say with all that did Roseman, does he or did he have with all the flux? Oh, I, I mean, I think any move that's being made that isn't somebody just leaving for a better job like Cunningham or Brandon Brown or, or Catherine here, uh, any move that's made is his move i mean there were some scouts who were who were just not retained they were fired or their contract was up and they're not what i was saying as opposed, decision. as opposed to like you know he had a group around him for a while that he had some trust in and had, they had some input and then with all this kind of influx you know did he not have as much to lean on this time around no i think it's just that as the years go by and as you do things you learn a, a little bit more about who's in your department and then you may have you know, different directions you want to go. And we see this in companies all the time that you hired somebody, but three or four years later, you may like somebody else in your department a little more and you may want to promote that person. And that may have to be at the expense of someone who's been under your nose for a few years and, and you're not that impressed with. Uh, I'm not saying that's the case with all of these situations, but um, he is the one pulling making the moves on, on all these, pulling the trigger, as we say. Great. By the way, um, we're talking with Jeff Mosher, football at four, the Eagles, uh, a lot of, uh, as we've kind of chronicled here, and it's pretty important. I mean, this is a team that is in a very – how would you describe where this team is right now? You mean from a front office standpoint just or just in, overall? No, just the overall organization. Two years yeah. ago at 4-11-1, they looked like they were in some trouble – You've got this mm-hmm. quarterback with this contract. You didn't know what to do. 
They get out from under that. They make the playoffs. And now you're 9-8. and eight. You're essentially right there in the middle. In you're the going middle. one right. way or the other. Where does it feel this team kind of is going? It's a great question. I mean, I think there's a feel that's going up because there's enthusiasm about acquiring A.J. Brown. There's enthusiasm and that's about a move. That's a move that tips their hand where they think they are, right? Um, no, I mean, I think that they knew they needed to get better offensively. Yeah, so, but do you I make mean, that move? A, do you make that move if you think you're like in limbo? Yes, because the goal of the Eagles is never to be in limbo. It's Fair. to always be better, right? Now, there are, if they were, I, I get what you're saying, and we can talk about cornerback right now and say, you know, the, 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 the franchise, and Howie has already said this. He said they're not all in. This year, they're not putting well, he their made chips that, on the table. He made that mistake before, and it bit him. Yes, he did. So, he did, did he learn from that? I guess is the question. I think, you know, I think what Howie's trying to say is they're trying to win as many games as possible. They're trying to be competitive, but they're not making some of the moves they would have made four or five years ago when they felt that their window well, was was there. But right, they won that Super that, Bowl, you know, Jeff. They won that Super Bowl. And then they made some uncharacteristic decisions post-Super Bowl to try to do it again. Right. They were tighter against the cap than they normally were. They brought in a guy like Michael Bennett, you know, just to, to add depth through a D-line. Um, and then they wound up trading him after a year. I mean, they made moves to go out there and try to win champions. You know, they signed aging guys, even though they didn't love the thought of doing it. Bringing back Jason Peters, you know, all those times. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, Mike Wallace. I mean, they clearly were trying to get a good mix of, of their young players, but veterans and thinking Carson Wentz was going to, you know, get back to 2017 form and they were going to be competitive every year to win a Super Bowl those years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Roseman did come out and give him credit. He said, we made some decisions we probably wouldn't have made, but we thought the window was there. So we went. Now, they made some bad decisions. Alshon Jeffrey's contract being one of them, as you chronicled. Right. Maybe holding on to Jason Peters. Why? Well, we thought we're right there. And you talked yep. about it. They made some moves. Heck, you could make the argument, Jeff, two off seasons ago, I guess it was, they traded for Darius Slay thinking we're right. We have a, we have a crack to do this again. And they went 4-11 and 1. So it wasn't right. too long ago. They thought they were right there. Right. And then it all came crumbling down. And not only did they realize that what they were hoping to be is not what they were, but suddenly they were a four-win team with a roster full of aging, declining players that needed to be turned over, not just in one or two spots, but in several spots. And as you can see how hard it is to just be what you want to be all the time, we're now almost two years from that spot and they're really not much different at cornerback number two and safety right. as they were from them. But they have fixed other areas or repatched other areas of the team to make them competitive. So let's talk about that. Why? Do they not value that? Do they think that there's something still out there? Why are they in the state that they're in at corner? And I guess to now Howie would say, well, we like the safeties better than you do. I don't know if he's being truthful or not. So why are they in the spot they're in at corner and safety? Howie likes the safeties so much more than us that he went out and tried to get Marcus Williams and put in basically a, a very competitive bid that the Ravens put in, just lost out on him. So, But he loves those safeties 
Don't let me don't let me tell you anything different now. He's just pouring money at free agents for for the heck of it, I guess. So no, I mean it, the, the situation is what it is. I think the draft told you everything you need to know. Not that you know, I mean inside the birds, and I'm sure other outlets have been telling you for years, right? That they don't value safety the way they value other positions. They have guys on the defensive line. They're sitting there at 15. And if they just sit there, either get Jordan Davis or Kyle Hamilton. They didn't sit there. They went up to make sure they got Jordan Davis, the defensive lineman, which is what they're constantly taking in the first round of the draft. And they said, forget the, the safety. So uh, that, that just shows you right then and there why they are where they are at safety. And that sounds like harsh criticism for me. It's really not. I, I get like you are who you are. You invest in the trenches. But I also say after 15 some odd years, you've got to address positions. It's, you can't. You can't go through these droughts where you just well, don't address these it's positions. It's very the odd, Jeff, that the team that won the Super Bowl with the key player on your defense being a safety. Yeah, right. The only other right. time and you've been in the Super Bowl is the key player on your defense was your safety. Right, right. Go, go look at how the team was when it had Brian Dawkins and then when it didn't and then when it had Malcolm Jenkins and then when it didn't. All right, so that's all you need to, to know. I yeah. mean, safety has been a really big part of what they've done for when they've been successful for for a long time. Where do you sit on, you know, where Bradbury, you know, w- w- is he an option? Is he going to be the Steven Nelson of the next few weeks, or is he going to price himself out? That's a great question. I think he'll have more of a market than Steven Nelson did. You know, Steven seemed to be waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to really give him a contract uh that he felt he was going to get and didn't. Bradbury is a more accomplished corner, and in the right scheme, I mean, he was a great zone corner. I'm sure teams will look at him and say, he fits what we really want to do. So I would imagine he's not going to be unemployed as long as Steven Nelson, but he probably is also going to have to have a reality check about on what his price tag is and what teams right now have to spend and want to spend so it could drag out a little bit but i i think he'll have a market you know i know everybody thinks the eagles should just go pounce on him but you know what he, he could get a call tomorrow from patrick mahomes like a recruiting call you know and it's, how do you say no to patrick mahomes See, and the chiefs if they come all right the, the the next question the follow-up would be would he fit john gannon certainly Certainly. If it's coming I, between I, you I and the new john gannon wants to play some assembly requires come to ace right if you remember last year, he started off the year playing a lot of zone and then had to switch to man. But now the, with the moves that they made this offseason, getting a better pass rusher in Reddick, getting a run stuffer in um, Jordan Davis that theoretically should allow him to not play a safety in the box and play too deep, he can play a lot more zone. Right. You know, and uh, Adam had mentioned yesterday that Bradbury, Bradbury is more. Now, he played a lot of man in Carolina. Um, when he was with the Panthers and then went to the Giants and kind of morphed into his own. So it seemingly could do both if needed. Yeah, well, that's the, the point I was getting to is that I, Jonathan last year, Gannon, played both styles of defense. I think he would like to mix it up, too, and not just be a pure this or a pure that. And I think Bradbury I think Bradbury was just put in a bad situation last year altogether. I, he Maybe he's done, but I, I tend to think that he'll be all right if you put him on a good team with some decent talent. Any, uh, the, I know rookie minicamp, there's nothing there, but the two guys they brought in, any thought from you that one, both, or neither will be on the 
in training camp on the ro- have a shot to make the roster. You talk about um, Goodrich and Joby. Yes. For, uh, yeah, I think that they've got better than average over, shots to make over the group of guys that they brought in last year: Gowan, Vincent, McCain, and whoever else I'm forgetting. Yeah, and then don't. I mean, I still think there will be a move made at cornerback, Mike. I mean, we we had this discussion, you know, many times over the last few off seasons, right? And I would say, but don't forget they yeah. acquired Ronald Darby in the middle of uh, training camp in August. So not that doesn't mean they're going to do it every year, but there will be in my I, I, whether it's Trey Wayne's, I, I'm sure they're going to make some kind of move. So yes, you, the answer to your question is yes. These corners that they signed as rookie free agents have a chance to make the team because they're pretty good. They just fell out of the draft for one reason or another. But they're not. I don't think that they're good enough that these guys are going to be started. They're they're just trying to make the fifty three. This team needs a number two corner. Yeah. Oh, a real established one. Do you know in your from talking to anybody over there of those guys, Gallen, Vincent, McCain? Again, if I'm missing somebody, you can add them. Mm-hmm. Do they like one of those over anybody else? I know they liked Gowan the year that he was drafted. What was that? Two or three years ago. Um, they liked him. He was in, in the, the trade with Zach Ertz, right? Yes, he was in the Zach Ertz trade. Now, I don't remember what round he went. I think it was a sixth-round pick. He was a sixth-round so pick in 2020, last year. Last year. Yeah. So I don't remember who the Eagles picked last year. I guess Teron Jackson, um, I think they picked in the sixth round last year. So maybe it was a situation where Gowan was off the board and they took Teron Jackson. I don't know, but I do know that they liked him. Uh, so but that again, be- we're talking about a sixth-round pick here. Teron so, Jackson I mean, you know. was 191, mm-hmm. and he, let's see, Gowan is, uh, I don't even see where he was drafted. Let's see. Hmm. Oh, there he was, 223. So he was a comp pick. Yeah, so they had an opportunity. I always, you know, because I think even Howie said this, some of these guys we liked, uh, whether it was Carrie Vincent or, or Gowan or somebody else, some of these guys we really liked in the draft. And I'm like, well, if you like them, why don't you draft them? <laughs> well, right. yeah, you love <laughs> you this guy. Oh, he was there. Somebody else instead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, the other guy who they got, uh, uh, Vincent, uh, where'd they get him from? Uh, McCain, they got from Denver, you know. Yeah. So, um, who knows why they were just grabbing it. It just seemed like they were grabbing. Oh, not to mention McPherson. He's the one guy that you hope uh, they did draft him. Of course. Of course. I, I figured we were not. Mentioning him. Well, no, I think he, yeah. I think McPherson, Vincent, Gowan, McCain, Joby, and, and Goodrich were are, are all. Which guy in that group do you like the best? Well, McPherson ha- was a fourth round pick. The only thing is, you talk to some people and they felt like in college. I think he went to Texas Tech. He, he went, first started off at Penn, Penn State, State. He transferred. Transferred yeah. to Tech. They noted that he played a lot of snaps either as a junior or a senior in the slot, and they felt that he was good there. Like a good slot corner, he has that kind of short area quickness, um, probably you know a strong build. So if he's really a better slot corner than a perimeter corner, um, then the Eagles already have Avante Maddox and they've given him an extension. Got it. But then again, you can make the the discussion is if if Jonathan Gannon's going to play more too deep and protect both of his corners with safeties then maybe you can get away with a lesser talented cornerback too because it's always going to have protection. That's the theory of Jordan. That's the theory of having Jordan Davis, that you don't need as much talent in the back end. Right, right, because the front end is going to take care of it, yeah. 
that's, right. that's correct. Jeff Mosher is back tomorrow. We'll talk more on the offensive side of the ball. I had a whole list of offensive questions we didn't get to. That's good. I'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow. Football at four. Uh, more on all this stuff over at Inside the Birds and the Inside the Birds podcast, uh, which uh, you can find wherever you get your podcast. Jeff, tomorrow, four o'clock. Be there. I will. Thank you, sir. See Football you at four here on the Sports Bash Live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. When we come back, we got today's headlines, including Tom Brady has a new job. Wait, didn't he already come back? We got the details next. Now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN. All right, let's get into today's headlines before Michael Kasky Blomain joins us at 445 today to talk a little Sixers and Heat. Game number five, Josh Hennings, my producer. What do we know today? Well, as promised, one of the stories I do have queued up on my phone here is about Tom Brady. Lachlan Murdoch, who is the current CEO of Fox, announced at a shareholders meeting today that Tom Brady, when he retires... Just kind of slipped this in there. Just slipped it in there. Will take the lead role as a lead NFL analyst, which Tom Brady retweeted it and said, excited, but a lot of unfinished business on the field with the Buccaneers. Hashtag LFG. A couple things here. Number one, does this definitively mean this is his last year? I think it paints a picture better that it will be his final year. All right. He always said he wanted to play until he's 45. Number two. He'll be 45 this year. Do we definitively think that Brady will be good at this job? I think he'll be better than, I don't know, Drew Brees was his first go around. All right. That wasn't uh, very. uh... Well, I'm just, I was, I think Brady's the kind of person where he puts his mind to something, he can be good at anything. I don't know. Are you surprised that he decided? He got a 10-year, $375 million deal to do this. Yes. He's getting paid $37 million a year to do this. Now, part of the... 10-year deal! Well, I didn't get to that part of the article, but there's a reason why that money is being paid him. He's not being just paid to call games. He will be an ambassador for Fox Sports for clients and promotional initiatives according to Murdoch during the call. So Brady's not just going to be a guy who shows up on broadcast day. He's not going to be Tony Romo. He's going to be an ambassador for Fox Sports. That's why he's getting paid all that money. All right. Well, still, I mean, I don't think anybody cares about those behind-the-scene things. It's more the... Well, I know... Okay. I understand that there's a lot of people, but they should. Because there's a reason why people get paid what they get paid. You know, people get mad sometimes... Why is this CEO making so much money? Or why is Stephen A. Smith making so much money? Well, it's because those people are doing things behind the scenes that are not visible, which is the bigger reason why they're getting paid what they're getting paid. Well, that's neither here nor there. The point I'm making is 
to be paid that kind of money. No one's going to put that into account if he does a Drew Brees-esque job. And I think he won't because I'm I'm a believer that Tom Brady's the kind of person who says, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be better at you than it. Yeah, well, I think so he'll be kiss good. my rear. I think Brady attitude. will be very good at it. Is he going to be like an all-time great? Maybe. I don't know. I mean... He has something to say. He's very articulate. I think he's going to be good at it. Like, for years, everybody wanted Peyton Manning to do it. Or, like, he was the big fish. Right. And we're like, I don't know. Does Peyton Manning even be good at this? I think now that you see him do what this Manning cast thing, I think he would probably be pretty good if he did game stuff. And I think Brady, Brady's got a part of him that, that is a great blend of appealing to the everyday guy, you know, six-round draft pick. He was a sixth guy on the quarterback depth chart at Michigan. He's got that part of him, but he's also got the, I'm married to Giselle. I can appeal to the people who have money stuff, too. So he's very good at walking in both worlds. Well, I think he'll be fine. My question will be then, so this is an odd situation for Fox. Because... yeah. Obviously, now they need a number one guy for this season. This season, yeah. And so now, what are you going to do? Greg Olson, hey, you're the number one guy this year, but then you're demoted? I guess. I guess that would be the working theory. Unless you ask one of the guys in the current Fox studio to say, hey, you want to slide into the booth for one year while Brady keeps the seat warm for Brady? Like, you know, do you turn to Howie Long? Keep in or- mind, you're not going to go to Howie Long? Come on. They're going to break up that studio show for one year? Hey, networks are weirder things. I'm going to rule that one out. But keep in mind, Fox has the Super Bowl this year. Yes. So whoever gets thrusted into this role is calling the Super Bowl. Listen, we all know what you're really trying to say here, Mike. You want to keep to leave to get the number one role. Because <laughs> you want more to keep to leave on your Sunday. I have no problem with Aqib Tlaib. Um, in fact, we were having this conversation today about who would be the number two guy with Olsen moving up. Who takes his spot as the number two guy? I don't even know who the number two broadcaster is at this point. Burkhart was two. He's moving up to one. Who's going to be the two guy now? Is it, would it, I guess it would be Chris Myers. I, no, Chris Myers. He's like seventh. Chris Dick Myers Stockton's is, retired, so Myers moved up the ladder. Dude, Chris Myers doesn't get any games. He's the guy who gets the game that Dick Stockton used to get. Okay, then what? Gus Johnson? He barely got any games last year. No, week. you're way off the mark here. The third guy at Fox would be what? Joe Davis? Uh, Adam Amin? Chris Myers, I don't even think calls games anymore. You just moved him from off the roster to two. <laughs> That's a terrible guess by you. Chris Myers is dreadful. I didn't say he was good. I was just thinking of a nail on the top of my head because I know it could be Gus Johnson because Gus is doing so many college football games. Yeah, I don't know that Gus even did any NFL last year. If he did, he it was did. maybe one. He did He did games with a keep to leave. Yeah, I'm saying like the fill-in games, maybe two, three games. I think it was like five. Whenever they had, it's not five. It was like two. A keep to leave only okay, did two this games is last year. Coming from the guy who only watches one game at a exactly. time, exactly. While the rest of us are watching Red Zone, you and wanna, I heard. Do you want to bet me? You want to put your money where your mouth is? You, uh, you're. Do you want to like put Gus your money Johnson where your mouth does is? No games. I didn't say that. I said he did like one or two because he did the games with the keep to leave, and I know how many games to leave did. Believe me, because when I look at my announcer schedule every week, I know where Talib did games. And he did the games with Gus Johnson. You know how many games Talib did last year? 
You're telling me Tlaib only did two games. He did two games last year. I'm willing to bet he did more than two games. All right. You look that up. I'll look it up because I know when you look it up, it's not going to be right. Oh, right, because I'm <laughs> I'm the worst at everything over here, right? Come on. But you gave me Chris Myers as the number two broadcaster. I was just spitballing a name. I wasn't sitting here acting to make a proclamation. I think you were serious. I was spitballing a name. All right. Do you want to retract Chris Myers or do you want to throw that one back on the table? <laughs> I was just thinking of a name. Well, off Chris the top Myers of my head. was not a good name to think off the top of your head. I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Chris Myers is the guy who gets the game that's like this when Fox has eight games on that weekend. Hey, Chris, are you available this weekend? Again, while me and half of America is watching Red Zone and we hear 20 broadcasters a week, you don't. Evidently, you're not listening very well. Keep in mind, as I said, I follow a website that tells you who broadcasts every game. I follow announcer schedules on Twitter. He's got 18,000 followers. I know every single broadcaster every week. I look at the website to see who's going to call every single game. All right. Well, you pull up the website and count how many times Keith DeLeave was on a broadcast last year. I told you. Two. I heard him on a podcast say that they only used him for two games this year. He was a guest on Jimmy Trainers. Not if Jimmy he Trainers. only did two, I would be shocked because I feel like I heard him way more often than that. And I always get excited when I hear. Keith now he did a. He did one game was a Detroit Lions game. I remember that because I think that was the game. So the that's Lions. the problem with that red zone. They're spinning games so much you don't even know who you're hearing. Well, I remember it was Detroit Lions. I thought it was one of those games they almost won. It probably was the Lions, considering they're probably the seventh game on Fox. <laughs> I'm telling you, he only had, I think, two, maybe a third game last year. He actually talked about this. He was on, the, I think, Jimmy Trainer's podcast, and he talked about he got paid $5,000, I think, per game that he well, did. Well, we'll revisit this tomorrow so I can actually get to more stories over here. Hurry up. So you mentioned the Manning cast. Well, the Manning cast is being reprised on ESPN. I thought they signed a three-year deal with For that. the PGA Championship. Oh, Jesus. Omaha Productions is working with ESPN to have Joe Buck and Michael Collins. Oh, yeah. This is going to be Buck's first assignment. I host- thought you were talking about bringing Eli and Peyton to do it. Well, they are going to be guests as okay. part of the broadcast. But... The ESPN press release is calling it Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions presents the PGA Championship with Joe Buck and Michael Collins. That's the presentation of the press release. Well, we've talked about this before, that you're going to start seeing everybody try to do this. I mean, have you watched any of the A-Rod Sunday night thing? I watched it once and never turned back. Yeah, I watched it once and never turned back. Not because I thought it was that bad. It wasn't great. It just did nothing for me. Yeah, it wasn't great. I was bored out of my mind. Now, maybe for somebody who really likes A-Rod and Michael K, you know, I don't I don't listen to Michael K. Michael K was never a guy in New York radio that I ever was like, that's a guy I'm going to listen to. Yeah. But I know for there are some people who love Michael K in New York, so I'm sure for those people, maybe that's a cool thing to have there, but yeah, not for me. I, I, I don't, but again, we talked about this before. You're going to start to see, I mean, I think you're going to see all of these networks come up with some sort of alternative programming. To Like, if I'm CBS... I'm running some sort of alternate programming on CBS Sports Network during the football games. Now, the PGA Championship with Joe Buck and Michael Collins will air all four days of the tournament next week, May 19th to 22nd, and will be on the time of day 
where it functions as counter-programming to the actual tournament Makes on sense. the major networks. I'm okay with that. Their list of guests will include Josh Allen, Charles Barkley, Fred Couples, John Hamm, Doris, Book, Doris Burke, uh, Troy Aikman, and Peyton and Eli Manning will be among the list of guests. See, and, and I was talking about this the other day. So the Apple Plus is doing their baseball game. Right, which says more function like a podcast. <clears throat> right, and Katie Nolan is part of that, and she was explaining that the broadcast is not supposed to be so much a broadcast as it's supposed to be a podcast. Mm. They say, look, people will listen to a three-hour podcast, so why not make the baseball game a podcast-esque type of presentation? Right. That makes sense. No, it makes sense. So now some of this broadcast will be on ESPN. Some will be on ESPN two. So you got to pay attention to that. So for example, it'll be from one to two on Thursday and Friday on ESPN. Then we'll continue on ESPN plus or ESPN two yeah. from two to five. PM. All right. I'm into that really quick before we get out of here. Mike Tyson will not be charged in the plane incident. Showing him striking a fan. Jeez. <laughs> According to San Mateo County District Attorney, they have said, quote, we have reviewed the police reports and the video online and have determined that our decision will be that we will not file any charges against Mike Tyson based on the circumstances surrounding the confrontation and the conduct of the individual in the video. Mm. Well... That whole story is crazy. The guy sees Mike Tyson on the plane. Tyson punches him in the face repeatedly. I mean, and he the was guy lived to tell him about it. Half hour. Oh my God. I mean, you heckle Mike Tyson for a half hour. I see would, how long I you would last. Not make that choice. <laughs> it's because you're smart at that guy. The guy was an idiot. Yeah. Um, all right. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. By the way, Tlaib did two games in 2020. What did he do Don't last know in year? 2022. It does not. I can't find that. See, he did. Gus Johnson and Keep to Leave teamed up for two broadcasts in 2020. In 2020. Right. He was supposed to come on. It says to do select games for Fox in 2021, but it doesn't say how many. Well, I'm sure you'll find it eventually. All right. More sports bash on the way. Michael Caskey, Blow Main Sixers. Heat tonight. Now I gotta see how many Chris Myers did. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine too many. Will it be more or less than two? That's the question. <laughs> I didn't see him do any Eagles games, and he would be the guy to do Eagles games because they were they were on the they had Andrew Catalan half the time. <laughs> they had Adam Amin a bunch. He was down, but I think Amin might move up to two. He'll Does that mean Schlereth moves up with him? You think? I'm not sure how they'll do that, but they got a lot of moves to make. So, all right. Sixers Heat, Game 5, the Keys, no Lowry for the Heat. How does that factor in, if at all? MKB, next. Now, back to the Sports Bash. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. E 
ESPN. All right, 447 on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget tonight, Game 7. You can hear it all right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tom McGinnis will have the call. Game 5, I should say, not Game 7. Will it get to a Game 7? Let's see how that potential. I said, Michael, yesterday, uh, after watching Game 3 and Game 4 and seeing how the Sixers played with Embiid back and not getting a monster offensive night from Embiid in either game, I wouldn't be surprised if Philly took this game tonight and took the game on Thursday night. Where do you see that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible, Mike. I mean, when he's when Joel's out there, it's, it's clearly clear that they're the more talented team. And like you said, he doesn't even need to necessarily be scoring 30 or 35 points for his presence to be felt out there. Just the attention that he draws from, you know, Bam Adebayo, whoever else, and a second defender, it opens things up for the team so much. It's not a coincidence that they shot, you know, almost 50% from three the last two games that they won after shooting, you know, really poorly those first couple games in Miami. So, you know, I thought all along if, if Joel could get back after missing those first couple of games, they would have a great chance, and it, it definitely seems that way. Right. Now, obviously, I, you know, the impact he had on offense was not as big as it was during the regular season and, and into the playoffs. But how did he change almost everything defensively? Well, there's, I think it's it's twofold. There's obviously, like, the team aspect where he is just him lurking back there literally makes every single, you know, every heap driver that comes into the paint just think twice or, you know, have to either settle for, like, a pull-up or a mid-range shot rather than get into the rim or kicking it out for, th- you know, a three. And they we've seen the past couple of games they've struggled to, you know, shoot efficiently from long range. And then on an individual basis, he's just done, you know, a really good job on Bam Adebayo, getting him frustrated, drawing fouls on him on the offensive end so that he's not even out there for Miami on offense. Uh, you know, it, it's just how he's able to kind of, you know, engulf Adebayo and not really let him do anything on that end. And then just his rim protection as a whole, it's it's elite. And, you know, they obviously are that much better when he's out there. Yeah, now, obviously, um, you know, his defense has changed the complexion from where DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed, when they were taking the minutes, Adebayo was just a huge cog in the offense, not as big a factor. But Jimmy Butler, huge factor the last couple of nights, if Miami's flying back on the plane, they got 33 from Butler and 40 from Butler, and they lost. What is their mindset heading back to Miami, knowing that, man, we just got those two nights from Butler and still didn't win? Yeah, I think the, the key for Spolster is you know, to try to figure out a way to get some of these other guys going. Obviously, like you said, Jimmy has been having a great past couple of games, and on the Philadelphia perspective, they need to figure out. Uh, you know, a little bit better of a defensive game plan against him. But for Miami, their offense just has been so dependent on him, you know, on the perimeter, getting screen and rolls, little post-ups from, you know, mid-post, things like that. I think they really got to try to get, you know, Tyler Hero going again like he was playing in the first couple of games. Duncan Robinson's been riding on the bench this whole series, and they're, you know, shooting terribly from three-point range. I wouldn't be shocked if he got dusted off for game five tonight to try to open things up. But, you know, I think the Sixers have done a great job of, you know, containing and limiting Tyler Hero after those first two games. Uh, you know, Doc Rivers has been having other guys trap more more pressure on him on the perimeter. But, you know, for me, if I'm the Heat, I think you just need more from, from everyone else around Jimmy. Yeah, and uh, they're not going to have Kyle Lowry. Now, he didn't have a huge impact in the game. What do you think Miami does 
in that role. He did play 30 minutes in the last game. So are we going to see Oladipo start? Uh, they go back to uh, Gabe Vincent. Yeah, and for that might I, I honestly not even really be a factor based off the way he played last game. At, at times, I think he was almost a liability for them defensively. He you know, clearly didn't have the burst that he would normally have offensively. He was laboring, getting up and down the floor. So it, it was you know a situation where he was out there, but he wasn't really helping the Heat. So I think they'll probably, I don't know who they'll go with to start, maybe Gabe Vincent for continuity's sake, but I think we'll see him and Oladipo, like you said, just have an expanded role. Oladipo's been playing really well over the past couple of games. I think they'll probably try to lean into him a little bit more on the offensive end as a guy to, you know, create baskets and supplement what Jimmy Butler's been able to do. Michael Gasky, Blumain, CBS Sports. Give me your overview of what we saw from Harden and what you're expecting from him tonight. You know, it's funny because Harden is—it's just so so much about his ability to make shots at this point. Like even last game where he was excellent and completely took that game over in the fourth quarter, it wasn't him necessarily taking guys off the dribble and getting to the rim. It was the fact that his his shot was falling and he was clearly feeling really comfortable with it. So at this point, as well as he played last game, it still wasn't a game where you really saw the old explosion or you know some of that Houston Harden for you know the term that people have been have been going with. If he's able to hit his shots at a consistent rate like he wasn't in last game, it opens things up for him. Then, obviously, the defense is going to play him a little tighter on the perimeter. It gives him more of an opportunity to get into the paint. So, you know, as long as he can come out and kind of parlay that shooting from last game and carry it over to this game, I think he, he could be in line for another big game. And to me, him or, and Tyrese Maxey, obviously, are the two, the two X factors from Philly. One of those two guys has to get going alongside Embiid. And if they do, you know, I think they'll have a great chance to steal one in Miami. Well, and not only that, Michael, I mean, they shot so poorly in Miami. They shot much better at home, which is to be expected. However, I want to get your take on the Sixers were a better road team this year. So should it be expected that they don't shoot as well on the road? They were a better road team all season long. Yeah, but I also think a, a, a huge part of the fact that they shot so poorly in Miami compared to Philadelphia was just the, the Embiid, you know, the Embiid effect, I think. There's less con- for the defense to concentrate on. They were able to stay true to their defenders more. They obviously didn't have to double in the post and, and pinch in, things like that. I think with Joel out there in Miami, combined with the fact that they're usually confident on the road, and him being out there by default, the opportunities are just going to be better and more open for the shooters. So I definitely think we'll see you know, the three-point shooting look more like it did in games three and four in Philly tonight than it did in the first two games in Miami. I mean, you think about what Danny Green has uh, been in this series. I mean, is it... <laughs> ridiculous to expect that he's going to come out and hit three or four threes again tonight i don't think it's ridiculous at all mike he's one of those guys where you know i know fans were piling on him but he was he's a guy that you know where you're going to get from you know on a night in night out basis he obviously everyone talks about the experience the three rings so to me that's his, he doesn't get you know the, let the moment get to him which i think is huge for the sixers team we've seen in this series he he has a knack for hitting you know big shots at the right time and i think tonight obviously knowing that they'll need him He'll be he'll be ready to contribute in that corner. All right, Michael Caskey Blomain has coverage at CBSSports.com and at the real Mike KB on Twitter. Sixers Heat Game Five tonight, right here on ninety-seven three ESPN. MKB, talk to you, pal. All right, Mike, have a good one. Thanks. All right, Game Five gets underway at seven thirty. The coverage on ninety-seven three ESPN begins at seven o'clock, right after Game Night tonight. Emery Hunt will join Josh tonight at 6.20 to talk a little NFL. And then, of course, he'll lead you into Tom McGinnis and the Sixers as they get ready for game number five. The winner of the game five has won the series 
84% of the time when it's a 2-2 situation. It's a best of three in Miami. Starts tonight at 7.30 on 97.3 ESPN South Jersey's official Sixers basketball station. When we come back, it is a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday with Thompson plus Mark Jackson will tell us how important Embiid is to the defense of the Sixers tonight. Plus, what kind of game does he expect from the big guy after being told you weren't the most valuable guy this year? Jokic was. Mark Jackson tonight at 525 on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank of CI. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far because you know it don't matter anyway. Sports Bash is live on a Tuesday edition here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Don't forget tonight's Sixers and Heat game number five. You can only hear it exclusively here down the shore on 97.3 ESPN. Sixers uh, Heat, game number five. It is a Tuesday. It is a Tuesday with Thompson here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. And the PT is in the house for another edition of Tuesday with Thompson. There he is, Peter. Michael, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. All right. So I want to start with this, PT. All right. Oh. So you and I played a little golf yesterday. We did. All right. You got your uh, LPGA. You, you had your LPGA shirt on there, I see. We played in yesterday's media day. Now, I had mentioned that I made a shot that was a pretty nice shot, right? Yeah. Uh, one in a million uh, almost. Yeah. I mean, it so, was really. What would you say the distance of this shot was? Because it has now gone from like 10 to 25 to 40 to where one of the players playing with us said, oh, I think it was like 140 yards out, which obviously he was joking. <laughs> but uh, what would you estimate the distance on this uh, chip was? Uh, it was um, it was more than a chip. I mean, it was it was legitimate. Uh, you know, it was legitimate. Uh, I mean, uh, to me, a chip is like just off the green. You know, it, it was like a half wedge. You know, I'd give it uh, twenty yards, maybe twenty two, twenty five tops. Right. But uh, it, you know, if, if anybody's familiar with the Bay Course, we had hit a, a decent drive. We were in the fairway and we pushed our shot. Well, the wind. I mean, the wind yesterday was unbelievable. And so we thought we were aiming at the middle of the green and the ball went drifted right. So our best shot of the second shots was actually near the number two tee box. And so we get down there, we're kind of hitting shots. And I believe, I think I hit first and I hit a ball on the green. But you were last to shoot, if I'm not mistaken. I was. Right? And so I had, because I had hit first and uh, Jim had already hit, um, we had walked up near the green. And I think even Joe Kelly had given me like a heads up, like heads up, Gil shooting, right? Well, if I knew you were going to shoot like that, I wouldn't have had to worry at all because <laughs> I had a front row seat for the ball, basically just the perfect chip. I mean, you uh, you sort of half wedged it. It, it. it went up, it landed on the edge of the green. It took like one more bounce and kerplunk right into the cup. And there was our 
There was our three. There was our birdie. Yeah, and well, and full disclosure, you know, you ever hear about these baseball situations where the guy goes to bat and he uses someone else's bat like he's never used that bat before and he goes <laughs> up there and he hits a home run? Well, that's essentially what happened. I was in a spot where I didn't even have a club and, and Joe said, hey, you want to borrow mine? I, yeah, what the heck? Because it's not like my club's going to help me. So right. I borrow his club, and it one-hopped and right in the cup. I've never seen anything like it. Now, I was so stunned that I literally had no reaction. <laughs> Your reaction was one of just like you couldn't even believe what you Pure were saying. I, I yelled loud enough that there was a group over on the number 10 tee box, and they turned. You know, I mean, look, you do something like that. you got to let other people on the golf course know that you're doing something. I was so stunned to actually, it was like in slow motion, to see that thing bounce up in the air and, and then whoop, right into yep. the cup. I could right not believe it. Now, generally, when I play golf, the next day or the day I will grade myself, and it's typically an F or a D, I thought yesterday I was actually in, like, the C-minus range. I, I'd almost even put you up to a B because of your ability to get off the tee box, you know. Uh, you were very consistent with your driver, you know, uh, and you were smacking the ball out there a decent amount, and, and that, in a scramble, that's huge, you know. I mean, uh, if you're the first guy or if you're the second guy to, to have a ball in the fairway before the other two people have to even tee up, just puts them at ease a little bit. Like, all right, I don't have to come up with some million dollar uh, or million to one shot. I just need to, you know, hit it and and it should be decent. So I I, I thought, you know, and you made a couple putts too, as, oh, as yeah. you are wont to do. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, generally, I'm good for like one deep punt putt. I will make like some random. I hit a couple yesterday. I dare I say it may have been the greatest round of golf that I ever played in my life. <laughs> well, I sure I sure enjoyed having you in the group, and uh, certainly uh, no much uh, no more so than on hole number one when you dropped it in the jar for a birdie. We needed a birdie at that point so we could get back to even, and I think that's where we stayed. All right. Well, uh, that was fun, and um, you know I'm looking forward to the LPGA Shoprite LPGA Classic coming back. It's the weekend of June the fourth, I believe. Yeah, well, they're back on their regular dates. So I think actually, hang on here. It is, uh, no, it's the weekend of the, it's the next, it's the following weekend, I think. It's the, uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th are the three days of the tournament. Okay. All right. 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yeah. So, uh, June, are you sure about that? Oh, yes. June 10th, 11th, 12th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. The only reason they put the fourth on there is they technically call it a tournament week. So, you know, yeah. Kind of like from Monday the 6th through, you know, Sunday. You are. And they're on. They're on CBS this year, too, for the first time. That's pretty exciting. The, yeah. the final round will be on CBS. So uh, I saw that uh, our good friend Bill Hansen, the tournament director, was saying, it doesn't matter if you have uh, rabbit uh, rabbit ears. You know, no matter what your television situation is at home, everybody gets CBS. So uh, viewership should go up. Hopefully That's pretty cool. Final. Well, I always yeah. tell people, if you've never been, it is well worth your time. You will have a blast. Walk around. You know, have a cocktail if you'd like. Walk around the course. And, uh, you know, we shot 18 yesterday, which is where I typically sit when I go. And mm -hmm. I, shooting the ball on 18, you have such an appreciation of how good those ladies are. Because, like, you, I will sit in the 18th hole, like, you know, whatever that's the called there. Sky box the skybox. The skybox there. Yeah. And you're literally just watching them kind of take their second shot, and it's woo, right onto the green. 
Well, yep. when I see where my second shot kind of goes, and then I need my third shot to get up there, <laughs> it is pretty. You will. I be, mean, it was windy, but we had a big drive. Eighteen is a birdie hole for them, and for us, uh, you know, or a birdie or eagle hole for them, and it's reachable for them in two under most conditions. Yeah. For us, we had a good drive, we had a really good second shot, and we were still front left of the green. And then we had to chip on for our third shot. And I do believe we made birdie on 18. But, yeah, and, and it's so dramatically different when you don't have the grandstands and the skyboxes up and, and all that stuff. But they really are. You know, the other thing I got to say about the ShopRite LPGA is that it's so fan-friendly. You know what I mean? So if you have a if you have a daughter or a niece or you have some a youngster in the household, uh, you get two tickets. You use your ShopRite Price Plus card, and you get two free tickets to get on the grounds and uh, – it's very accessible. The players are very accessible. You and I usually do that remote in the spectator village, all that free stuff they're giving away that's right off the number one tee box. There's just so much uh, to see and do that it's absolutely worth your time, and they're back in their regular June dates, so I'm excited. About yeah, that. I can't uh, I can't wait for the tournament. I'll be back out there on that uh, Saturday. So I went Sunday last year on the final day. I went to go see the uh, final round, but I might go Saturday this year. We'll see. All right, PT, we got a big game tonight. Game five, the Sixers win. They tied this series up. I want to ask you this. Do you feel now conf- confident that the Sixers can win this series, or are you still uh, Negadelphia? Oh, no, I'm not Negadelphia, but I certainly think that, uh, I mean, that's the James Harden that we hadn't seen yet in the playoffs at all. And, and to me, for him to throw out 31.7 rebounds, nine assists, and I saw a graphic I actually watched. I DVR'd one and watched the other the other night. And I want uh, and let me just throw in my shameless plug for how great the NBA on TNT postgame shows are. I mean, they're, they're outstanding. But I, they threw up a graphic about in games one through three in the second half, Harden was averaging like three points or just over three points, 21%. He was 0 for 8 from three point uh, beyond the arc. You know, his second halves were like, where's Waldo? You know, or where's James? Where's the beard, right? And then the other night, he put up 18 of his points in the second half. He was 5 for 11 from the floor, 4 for 7 from beyond three, 4 for 4 from the line. I mean, if they can get that Harden again, absolutely they can advance because that, to me, was like turning back time. That was an unbelievable James Harden. And between him, 31 points, and Joel with 24 and a little bit of Tyrese Maxey, that's how they were able to overcome Jimmy. I'm going to hit everything on the floor. Butler. Yeah, well, Butler went for 33 in game three. He went for 40 in game four. You know, if I'm flying home, Miami, I'm bringing, I'm pretty, I'm pretty down by the fact that we couldn't figure out, find a way to steal a game with those two performances from him. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the first time he's had consecutive 30 plus point performances, but that does show you why I think basketball is a team sport you know it's very rare that one guy can have like can just go off and carry his team to victory you need other people to contribute and other than butler you know and uh, granted 40 points but other than butler uh miami didn't have much and i hear they're not gonna have kyle lowry again tonight lowry's out of the game tonight now he hasn't done much in the series you almost wonder if that's a plus they won the two games that he did not play in 
That's true. And and then when he didn't play, they seemed to have a, a different rotation and spacing and, and certainly were better defensively. I, I, I know this. To me, this tonight's the night. You know, I mean, this is this is the most critical game and the most pivotal game of the entire series. They did all this work to get it back to 2-2. You know, win this game and come home and close it out is, is the recipe for success. Well, you're right about that. 84% of the time, the team that has won the 2-2 series, game five, they go on to win. So you've got to get this game tonight. And I said confidently yesterday, PT, and I'm not backing off of this. I think the Sixers win tonight, and then they'll win on Thursday. I think they win four straight here. I, and that's something that, you know, when we were after game two and there's no Embiid, you're thinking, uh, I'm not feeling very good about any of this. Isn't it amazing how a guy who's not the MVP can change the conversation so much or reportedly not the MVP? I don't know how much stock I put in the fact that that's going to add some chip to his shoulder or something like that. Well, I, mean, I, I all, find that there – I said, I think he has one of those nights where he scores 35, 38 points and he says, I'm not the MVP, right? Okay. Yeah, take this. Yeah, no, I, I do put a little stock in – you know, there's the story of – when uh, Magic lost to Bird for the Rookie of the Year, he went out the next night and scored like 45. Like, okay, you want to give it to Larry Bird? Fine. This is what you didn't give it to. Bang. Have it take that. They sort of covered that a little bit in winning time. The uh, not directly 100% accurate uh, HBO series that I've been you know what's funny? So okay, you know what's funny about this winning time? Now, we've had this conversation because Josh has read Perlman's book. Oh, he read the book. Okay. Yes, so he's read material. Perlman's book, and he has kind of like gone off in this whole thing. Well, the funny part is Perlman's now tweeting about the whole, you know, I saw him tweet something today with the book and like, hey, please read my book. Like, you watch the show. Now read the damn book. And, I mean, he has on the book that it's basically got the HBO logo on it now. He, he put that on the cover of the book. So a reissue? Why not? I mean, yeah, but my question is, is Perlman tweeting about it because he's just trying to make more money for the book? Right. Or is he tweeting about it saying that, look, the book really has the story. This is just a dramatization of what I wrote about the book. Well, that's what the whole weird part about this is, is that Perlman, you know, was like, oh, the show is based on the book. Well, then the book was getting, I mean, the show was getting kind of ripped that it was like an over- like yeah dramatization dramatization yeah, like, and now perlman's essentially like well screw this i'm gonna jump on the wagon and get to ride the coattails get, of this whole thing paid. i mean look at the end of the are day you there's a lot josh are you disappointed in perlman i think it's a smart move by him to I take advantage of the situation. i said are you disappointed <laughs> in him I wouldn't say disappointed. Well, you disappointed. were pretty big. Like, I read the Perlman book. and it's... I'm disappointed in the show, but if his angle all along was to parlay the show into selling more books, then, yeah, I respect the hustle. That was another NBA show, wasn't it, right? Hustle and Flow or something like that. Hustle and Flow, <laughs> that's that, right. That was, or maybe that was a movie. All was a movie. I know is this. There was the show it... Hustle with... Uh, Tom Sizemore playing Pete oh, Rose. Oh, Tom Sizemore. You know, he went to Temple. Um, I know this, Gil. Most books, if you just take them from the book to the screen, are not compelling. You know, most books, uh, so there always is some sort of adaptation. I can think of a few books in my life that I've read that, that you read the book, and the minute you put it down, you're like, wow, that's going to be a great movie. Like The Firm 
is one of them. You have the John Grisham book way back when. That was one where I read the book and I thought, I can't wait until they make this into a movie. But more often than not, things are either too slow or the pacing is too slow and they, they change things for, you know, and that, that's, that's why they have a whole category. The, the best screen adaptation of blah, blah, blah. Right. That's why they have that category. Yeah. Well, the, the whole thing was the B was, was originally that, hey, you know, um, it's based on this book, but that they didn't do a good job taking it from the book to the screen. And now Perlman's essentially like, hey, I don't care. Read, read my book. <laughs> right. As long as you read the book, it's more money. Now, for have me. you watched uh, a- a- any of it? Oh, yeah. We've been watching it. You know, I DVR it each week. And then Michael and I uh, make time to, to watch it together. So we've been watching it. All right. Well, we're, I, we I watched one more fir- to go. I watched the first episode. So I was at my buddy's house on Sunday. We we're watching the Sixers game. So before the Sixers game, we had a couple hours to kill after Mother's Day brunch. So he he we were talking about winning time. He said, "Do you want to watch it?" And then I was like, "Ooh, you have HBO Max. Let's watch Curb Your Enthusiasm." <laughs> That's funny. I love that you pivoted away from winning time and went right to Larry David. I was like, I don't have any interest in winning time. I'd like to go see uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, please. So I got to watch, like, we watched, like, the first four episodes. Well, at least you were in touch with me and you knew that I wasn't the guy sleeping at the Sixers. I, I saw somebody tweet at me and ask if that was me <laughs> sleeping at the Sixers. No, that was not me. <laughs> no. That whole situation. Now, the guy, there's a lot of shadiness around that story, too. This guy continues to maintain that he was as sober as a nun, and I do not believe it. I think they had a few pops. I did see a video of him having to be. He was sort of like getting escorted out. Like they were guiding him out. To be fair, okay? If you are that, like, out. Now, he said he took a cat nap. There's a difference between a cat nap and being, like... Looking dead. Right. <laughs> like, just completely drooling. <laughs> you know, when you wake up and you're almost like, I don't even know what day it is. I don't know where I'm at. But he was getting helped to walk out of there. Like, he needed someone to kind of, like, help escort him. I've seen that for more than... I, I saw some tweets. I saw something on Facebook the night of from somebody who came back and said that, you know, he had been guided out by the elbows, you know, sort of like supporting him on the way out. I, I, to see that in a couple... Like, if it was just one person, okay, fine. Or, or Charles Barkley made his assertion on national television, fine. But but to see it from two or three different other places... Uh, well, there's video. Wonder. I saw the video of the guy. I mean, literally, the, the, the guy was yeah. helping him out. Yeah, they're so definitely, he they're has definitely said, assisting him. Yeah, he has said in a couple of different videos, uh, in interviews, I should say, that, well, you know, I was in Atlanta and I traveled and I got home late. And then I had to drive to Annapolis to my daughter's soccer. You now he's brought his daughter into this. She's an yeah. ally, uh, alibi, you know, like, come on. <laughs> I mean, and why does he have to besmirch the good city of Annapolis? We love Maryland. We love Baltimore. Well, we love Annapolis. <laughs> I, I envision, I have seen you fall asleep, not at the game, though, I don't think. Have you ever fallen asleep at a game? You know, I said yes. Somebody put it up on a Twitter poll. Had I ever fallen asleep at a professional sporting event? And I said yes, because I believe there's been some times, like uh, I went to a Phillies-Cubs game at Wrigley one time and just was 
blitzkrieg. I mean, I and then uh, uh, we were in the outfield too, and I remember that I was like a weeble wobble. I almost fell over into the basket, and my buddy was like, "I don't think that can support you," you know, like yeah. uh, ivy grows in there, not human beings. But uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, did I fall asleep? Or it's the old Billy Madison line: Did you fall asleep or did you pass out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, and, and I said. I never, I don't know that I've ever like been out like a light, but I was at Wrigley. And the problem with Wrigley is it's a day oh, game. Oh, you're this is at Wrigley too. Your story's at Wrigley as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a day game at Wrigley. Thumbs beaten down. You've had a few pops. <laughs> yeah, well, the problem is it's a day game. Well, you start at eight o'clock in the morning at Cubby Bear across the street. That's right. And you're there for a sizable amount of time before you even get into the game. Well, by the time the seventh inning, that sun's been hitting you for quite some time. So I'm sitting there with a bunch of my buddies, and I got my sunglasses on, and I look over at my buddy. I say, well, I didn't even look at him. I'm looking forward. And I said to him, can you tell that my eyes are closed? (laughs) (laughs) And once he said no, that was the only permission you needed. Yes, I can tell your eyes are closed. I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> Good night, Mary Lou. Uh, Pete Thompson, game five tonight. Who wins? Sixers. Sixers, Sixers win. win. Well, they, all right. Take control. Mark Jackson's going to talk about it, talk about it with us coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97. PT, you're going to watch Sixers into Phillies tonight? Yeah, why not go one into the other? Sure. I got multiple devices. Although, you know, I'll probably... Phillies I mean, 940 tonight. Yeah, I didn't make the end of the Phillies game last night. I cannot tell a lie. Fine. Most didn't. <laughs> so Say you... hi to my birthday, buddy. You know, Mark Jackson and I share the same birthday. I will. All right. All right, buddy. Fine. Talk to you. Uh, that's a Tuesday with Thompson here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Yes, Mark Jackson joins me on the other side. How big of a factor will it be, be tonight? What more can he do? Then Mark Jackson see. I'll ask him coming up next here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. At 527, Mark Jackson, NBC Sports Philadelphia. The pregame tonight, the pre- and post-game. The game is on... ESPN. But before and after the game, you can check out Amy, Mark, and the coach on NBC Sports Philadelphia. As soon as that game is over, they'll have all the recaps and more. 2 2, the series. It really comes down to game five, 84% of the time, at least it has. Mark Jackson's here. Joel Embiid was a huge factor and had a huge impact in the game, Mark, but. He didn't do it scoring. He did it defensively. Yeah, he played well offensively. But do you anticipate the big man will have a bigger role in scoring the basketball tonight? Absolutely. He needs a big game to get off. And we know Joel Embiid. We know he likes the drama. We love he knows He knows the impact. And let's be honest, we're disappointed in the NBA voters' decision to go with Jokic. But let me tell you something. Miami better fear. <laughs> 
that Joel Embiid is here because he's going to play against a ticked-off Joel Embiid. And, oh, watch out. Showtime, baby. Now, now, Mark, do you think, I mean, yeah, he's had some good games. I mean, he's hit some tough shots still. But um, have you noticed that maybe uh, offensively he hasn't been the same these two games back and that, you know, he needs to find his rhythm uh, and his third game that he should be more in rhythm those first? Did you notice that he wasn't maybe where he wanted to be? Absolutely. he He's not where he wants to be or where he wanted to be. But, like, the more games they play, the more opportunities he have to get the feet, his feet under him. And I feel bad. I really – I'm sorry. I just feel bad for Miami because the more times Joel Embiid gets on the court where he's not off of concussion protocols or, you know, and the more he gets to, to sit, he gets to think about how he's going to dominate this team. He said it. He said it. I haven't had a big game yet, but it's coming. Oh, I agree with you, and I agree with him. Uh, Mark Jackson's with us. Uh, impact defensively. Kind of go uh, what you've seen, how Embiid changed everything defensively for Philadelphia. Defensively. So what's going on is, is this Miami Heat team as one of the best shooters shooting team in the NBA, if not the best shooting team in the NBA in the regular season. But when you have a room protector like Joel Embiid, you don't want you don't really have to help off of your guy on a perimeter as much as previously when Joel is not in the lineup because he covers so much ground. His ability to be able to get out to his man and recover to guard his man, it really makes it easier on a perimeter guy to really hone in on a guy and don't leave him as much, uh, meet him as wide open. This team, this team meaning Miami Heat, thrives. Thrives when somebody's getting downhill, kicking out to those shooters. But with Joel Embiid protecting that rim, that guy gets downhill. You say, oh, you know what? You're on your own against you. I'm going to stay here and deny this shooter out here. <laughs> if you are Miami flying home after Butler gets 33 and 40 and couldn't find a way to steal one, are you disappointed or are you just, hey, we tried on the road. We didn't get one. We come back. We still have home. Or, or are you saying, man, what do we got to do to figure out how to win the game where Butler gets us 33-40, and 40, which he's very good, but 33-40, and 40, he doesn't pull them out all the time. Exactly. One man can't beat the show. You need multiple guys, and that's where I think the 76 has advantage. I think we have a lot of offensive weapons, a lot meaning four. We have. We know we have Joel Embiid, our, our, our MVP. We have Maxie, we have James Harden, we have Tobias Harris. To me, I just think Orlando does, I mean, um, excuse me, Miami does not have as much scoring options. They have shooters, yes, but them shooters have to be facilitated too. You have to put the cake in front of them and give them a knife to eat it. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Bam, they're really good, but to me, I think the edge go to six because they can score many points. And Miami's game plan is to try to play better defense. You can do that when another team got one or two scores. When you have four to go against, it's hard to do that. Hey, I want to get your opinion on how important the minutes were when Joel went out and that, you know, did that, did that little mm. run there instill more confidence in Paul Reed for Doc Rivers? Did he get something more than just, hey, we got a nice run out of you in this in this stretch? Absolutely. You know, Reed is still young. I know he's been in the league a few years, but he's still young. So when he gets the opportunity to prove himself, he has to run with it. And he's doing that. That game, that stretch where this team was able to maintain and actually take over a little bit bigger lead, gives you a, another minute or two of resting. That right there said, maybe I have something to read. Maybe he's earned more minutes, more rest for Joel. Maybe he can give us that consistently, but he's young. Consistently, consistency and young don't go together. 
But maybe with this nucleus, we got that. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was a, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say it was the key to the game, but the fact that they got that stretch, that run to start that quarter, and that, that you mentioned it, that I think that Doc said, you know what, I'm going to try to sneak another minute or two out of this crew. I thought that was a huge factor in that game because the Heat never felt like they were going away, and they were the Sixers typically – if the big man comes out, the lead evaporates, or even you lose it, and they were able to hold it and even extend it. I thought that was huge in game four. Yes, and I got to throw a question back at you. If you Spolstra and you see that, you got to make an adjustment to the adjustment for the adjustment. <laughs> this team is able to take over lead without Joel Embiid on the floor. Like, it was able to play better without Joel Embiid on the floor, and how do we adjust to that? We look as if you're the Miami um, Heat's coaching staff, you look to see this is where we make our run when Joel is down the floor. Joel was not on the floor, and he was unable to make the run that Sixers did. So now they got to have bullshit. Even Pat Riley said, you know what? Let me go down there and help him out there. <laughs> well, I'll throw the, I'll try to answer the question by saying, how, how about Duncan Robinson? Is he a guy that you think the Heat need to, or why haven't they, uh, turned to this guy yet? Because he's, you know, he, they signed him to a big deal. He's playing very good in the regular season. They're leading up right before the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, he wasn't having a productive, uh, run. So they, and he's a liability on defense. So they said, if you're not hitting shots, we got to mm-hmm. find another answer. And, you know, they've been going with other guys. Oladipo is getting much more run than he did during the regular season. He's healthy. He seemed to have an impact. And I said, let's go to Oladipo because even when he's not hitting shots, he can give us more stuff off the bounce. He gives us more in the defensive end. So I think Miami's going to try to get some answers from Duncan Robinson to help him out from the three-point line. All right. Uh, everybody's been talking, oh, did, did Harden turn back the clock? Are we seeing a new Harden? I don't know that we're seeing a new Harden. I think Harden just made shots. I mean, he hasn't been hitting. He finally hit. Um, so I don't know. Is he going to hit six out of ten again? Probably not. But what has Harden been able to do when he's not this old version of Harden scoring 35? You know, his shot volume is not, you know, he hasn't taken 20 or more shots at all with the Sixers yet, but everybody keeps asking, well, what's wrong with him? Do you see something wrong with him, Mark? Or you say, hey, this is who he is, and that's fine. I think he's adjusting. He's adjusting because I think we all want, everybody wants Houston James Harden. That's not what this team needs. This team needs Harden to be 20, 22, 23 points max, and that gives everybody else an opportunity to eat. Which is very telling to me is he has not taken a volume of shots he's did his whole career since leaving OKC. Right. Which means he's starting to understand, like, I don't need to take on that payload of jacking up shots, 20, 25 shots, for our team to be successful. We have other guys. And if other guys play average, we have a chance to win. When we want, when people want to see him shooting 20 times a game, 25 times a game, like Houston, then where does that leave the other three? It doesn't leave them nowhere on the floor. So I think James Harden just, he's adjusting, he's matured. He said, you know what? I can't win a championship jacking up 25, 30 shots. I need a camaraderie of guys who's willing and able to really get going. And he found the hit with the six. Right. Well, and you know this, Mark. You know, we, we find ways to complain. But I said, you know, you lose the game without Embiid, and then you're going to say, well, Harden should have done more. Look, Joel Embiid's not there. It's going to be an uphill battle to beat the number one seed when you don't have Joel Embiid, right? Absolutely. They didn't want to see for a reason. It's not like, hey, you know, this. there was one game, whoever wins gets number one No, this team went through the whole season with the injuries. Jimmy in the lineup, Larry out the lineup, Bam missed some games. They was in and out, but they still finished the one seed. So that way for a reason. As long as you have Joel Embiid on the court, 
I like our chances, period. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. And obviously, you know, I want to I want to get your opinion on this because the Sixers were a better road team during the regular season than they were a home team. Now, obviously, they didn't shoot very well on the road. They shot way better at home. Did they not shoot well on the road because it's a road game? Or did Joel Embiid not being there have something to do with that? Joel Embiid not being there. His impact. Him just being out there. Him sitting on the bench and waving everybody high. And it makes the defense look at him like, oh, man, Joel. And then it opens up shots for everyone else. This team is much different out of Joel Embiid. Listen, we can say we want to be healthy. We can do all the working out we can. We can get good sleep at night. But if you're not drinking a proper amount of water, all that does goes to waste. Respectfully, this team is good. They have a lot of ingredients. But the key to health is water. Fresh, clean water. And Joel Embiid is all of that and more. He helps everyone play better. All right. So tonight, obviously, uh, Danny Green has been on fire. You know, he hit uh, seven threes in game three, shot the ball well again. Um, You know, those role players, we'll see what versions of them the Sixers get on the road, Mark Jackson. But in your heart of hearts right now, I mean, does this game go? Is this a seven game series? Do you think that all the momentum says, you know what? They're going to win four straight. Just for me, personally, I really believe I'll call six to six. And I'm going to stay with that. Yeah. I'm still saying six to six. After, uh, you know, after game two, it was up in the air. A- after the last two nights, I said yesterday, they're going to win this game. Thing. I think they close it out tonight and Bede has one of those nights. He didn't win that MVP. I think you're going to see a special night. And then at home, I think they get this thing closed out. I agree with you. I think the team right now, it just, uh, it's just, they're, they're, they're clicking and they got the big man back. And I think we're going to close this out in six. You can check out all the pregame with, uh, Mark Jackson, the coach and Amy Fadul on NBC Sports Philadelphia getting you ready for Sixers Heat game five tonight. And it should be a fun one down in South Beach. Mark, appreciate it, bud. Appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Go Sixers! All right, Mark Jackson here on the Sports Bash, and you'll see him on the television here coming up at, uh, I would imagine, 6.30 uh, will be the start time for their pregame show on the television side. Mark Jackson here on the Sports Bash. He's right. You know, the fact of the matter is this. He goes, what's the... the uh, he's right about the... We are talking about the adjustment to the adjustment to the adjustment. What is left for... Miami, they have tried to do a bunch of different things. They had they didn't have to do anything in the first two games with the Embiid situation. They took advantage of Embiid not being there. Well, now they're struggling to score. How do they adjust to trying to score without having that element of scoring with Bam getting all those easy baskets? Did you see... Bam Adebayo's uh, shot charts from game one and two and then three and four. Did you see that graphic? I didn't see the graphic, but I can just imagine how extremely different they are. Extremely different. Extremely different. Uh, He was having his way on DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed. He is having all sorts of problems, specifically in game three. In game four, he didn't have as many problems. It was a little bit of a different situation, but... Mm -hmm. You saw how much harder he had to work. And then, of course, I think tonight it will affect him on the defensive end. I think you're going to see Embiid have a big night on that end of the floor, which I think is just going to be a problem for Bam. They don't have a lot of size. They didn't have Deadman in game four, right. so they, they lost that element. He was sick. I don't know what his status for tonight is. I haven't seen uh, that. We do know that um, that Lowry is out. Excuse me. Right. His name escaped me for a second, but... 
Kyle Lowry is out for the game. But I think Mark is right about, did the Sixers not shoot well because they were on the road? Or did the Sixers not shoot well because Embiid wasn't there? I tend to think there's more of an element to Embiid not being there as to why they didn't shoot it all that well. Because the Sixers were a better road team this year than they were a home team. Keep that in mind. I I said this last night, and I'll say it again. This is just my perspective. Joel Embiid is more than the stats on the sheet. Like Mark just said to you a few minutes ago, Joel's sitting there waving like, hey, guys, I'm here. It's a distraction. It's a that split-second focus of, oh, no, is Embiid going to get the ball open or not, that forces the team to overcommit or undercommit in different situations. I don't think these guys were able to get quality. You can tell me all you want. They got open shots, but were they quality shots? They're not one and the same. You know, anybody who played basketball in their life, organized basketball, you all got yelled at at one point or another. Don't tell me you didn't, that you took a bad shot. Your coach will pull you aside and be like, that wasn't a quality shot. You don't take that Well, shot. I thought the Sixers' defense, too, you know, some of the adjustments they made forced Miami into taking some bad shots. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, that Tyler Hero, they ran him off the line. They ran two guys at him. They made him get inside the three-point line. He took a couple long twos. He doesn't want to take long twos. Statistically speaking, you don't want to take long twos. You want to take threes. Right. And the the Sixers, I thought, pushed Hero off the line, the three-point line, and that was a factor in the game. How does Miami adjust to that? We'll see. Well, well, I was preferring to Philadelphia shots in the first two games. The idea that people were saying they had open shots, but they weren't quality shots to me. So when they got Embiid back, now you're getting quality shots because now the floor spacing is not just spacing for the sake of spacing. And it goes back to what... Tim Legler told us, time and space, more time, more space, having more time and more space on the floor. Joel Embiid gives you that. James Harden, by the way, helps give you that. He sets you up and puts you in great spots and finds you in great spots to shoot. And then, of course, Embiid demands so much attention, time and space. And I think Embiid will get going early and that will cause more time and more space which should make you shoot the ball better as the game goes on. I'll throw it back to something you mentioned earlier in the show today, Mike, and I've heard other people bring up, the lack of use of Duncan Robinson. And Well, Mark just basically, I don't want to say poo-pooed that, but go ahead. Well, my thing is, and I understand where he's coming from. He's not the first person I've heard say, hey, Robinson doesn't give you anything on defense. Well, we've seen Miami go to his own defense before, you know, anybody, anybody who's got half a sense of basketball can run a zone defense at at least a decent level. If you're a professional basketball player, I'm sure Duncan, if they ran like a 3-2 zone or something like that, I'm just throwing out a number, the idea would be that, you know, at least you can hide him a little bit Mm -hmm. and maybe still get something on the offensive end. Well, Spolstras did say today, he said, I'm not Nostradamus, it's all hands on deck, but it wasn't a ringing endorsement. Wasn't a ringing endorsement, but I will say that if if the Heat are serious about trying to make sure Philadelphia doesn't win this game, Duncan Robinson can't be on the bench. Well, Duncan Robinson scored, hit 27 points and hit eight threes in game one against Atlanta. And 
We haven't seen him really since. How do you hit eight threes in twenty seven in twenty three minutes and not get called on again? And that's the big conundrum. That's the thing that I don't understand. There's got to be more to this than we know because Spolstra Spolstra is not a guy who does things something for no reason. You know, he's not some stubborn coach who says it's my way or the highway. He's shown to be very pliable and flexible. No, this is a surprising development. I think people down there are wondering what's going on here. I mean, the last time he played any meaningful minutes was game one, and it's not like he didn't do anything. He scored 27 in that game. So you're wondering, hey, coach, what happened? What what did I do wrong here? (laughs) He scored 27 in 23 minutes. He hit eight threes. Can you imagine if that happened in Philadelphia and he didn't play the next game? I don't know. Maybe he said the wrong thing to Spolster's daughter or something. I exactly. I was like thinking, like, what did he do? I mean, who did he tick off, man? Right. Who, who did he upset? Holy mackerel. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download it in the Apple Store, Google Play, wherever you get your apps. I have about 15 minutes before I'm going home. And on that way home, I will hear Emery Hunt talk a little football on game night tonight. And don't forget, tomorrow we'll recap game five. Paul Hudrick will be here. Mike McGarry will be here. So we'll have plenty of coverage on tomorrow's show as well. Sixers tonight, 7.30 is your start time. Hey, I've been telling you for a while about my friend Dr. Paul Lewis over at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. And people have been asking me nonstop, hey, give me the number of this guy on my allergies, my allergies. Hey, you haven't called by now. I don't know what you're waiting for. Allergies are a big problem, my mother said to me the other day. My allergies are killing me. (laughs) Not me. Sorry, can't help you there. I told you. 856-285-4788. Dr. Paul Lewis sjadvancedhealth.com for South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. If you're allergic to anything, anything at all, you tell him, hey, this is what I'm allergic to. He'll test you for it and say, yeah, you're allergic to that. Here's what you do. Give him a call, 856-285-4788. He's got an office in Vineland and Cape May Courthouse. There's a lot of people out there who have weird allergies, man, and you're like, you're allergic to that? He can fix it. You know? Shellfish, seafood, red meat, dust, mold, dog hair, cat hair. Allergies is something that we all live with. Well, I don't anymore. Thanks to Dr. Paul Lewis. Again, 856-285-4788. Now, back to the sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, get ready to wrap up the show. I got the Sixers tonight. I think they're a... Uh... Last I checked, they were like a three-point underdog, right? You have a uh, updated line on the uh, Sixer game tonight? Well, last time I saw it was two and a half, but that was a few hours ago, so let me double-check. Move to half might, point. might be down to two now. Who knows? Right, right church, wrong pew, I guess. Uh, Still two and a half. So it moved from three to two and a half. So they're a two and a half point doggy dog. Plus but, 130 on the money line. Yeah, I like the money line for the Sixers tonight. I also like him B getting over the point. What's that? Uh, 
uh, last time I saw it was 25 and a half. So Ooh. it is now. 25 and a half is lower than normally. But normally, you can't find him anywhere in uh, under 30. He's usually 29 and a half, 30, 31, somewhere in that range. So if it's 25 and a half, I take the over there. The other one I like tonight would be Danny Green. I've been hitting, uh, betting him. You get him about one and a half, two threes a night. And B's 26 and a half now. Right, I take the over there. And a half to 26 and a half. I take the over there. What was it, Danny Green with the threes? Danny Green threes tonight. What do you got? Uh, the over is two and a half at plus one, one, five. Ooh. Two and a half is a tough number on the road. I think he gets two tonight. It's tough. Can you stay away from that? Though? Yeah, probably. I like that. Um, in B, though, and I got Phil Sixers on the money line. What's Maxie's number? On what? The points and threes? Points. You got Maxie. Maxi. I can get Maxie around 16 and a half. He's 19 and a half. That's, that's, that's up. You think it'd be with a three turn? Um, he banked one in the other night. He did. Will get one three? I usually will bet Embiid to hit one three because he will take three or four. Of them. Well, because the reason I'm asking is because his over under on threes tonight for Embiid is zero point five. Okay, yeah. So I, he I, makes one. Yeah, you're a winner. I'm a winner. I got to do a a nine teamer. <laughs> so I can hit eight of them. That's my mo, right? You can still do a side bet at the Sixers to win outright. What is um, Butler's tonight? What's his number? Because I would take the under on Butler. I can't imagine Butler has another 30-point night in him. 25 and a half. That's a decent number. See Butler around 22 tonight. I got Embiid for 35 tonight. How about Tobias on the over? He's at 14 and a half. Yeah, they lowered that a little bit. I got Embiid on 35. I'll go Harden with 21. Well, that's cutting it close because Harden's over-under is 20 and a half. Well, I got uh, right Tobias. Tobias has the number tonight. He's got like 18 tonight. I'll go with Tobias having the number tonight. Yeah, you parlay Tobias and Embiid both hit the over on the points. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, and then um, who's the other guy? Who's my – oh, Maxi. I think Maxi probably uh, – go Maxi around 22. To parlay Tobias and Embiid both hit the over on their points and Embiid hit at least one three pointer tonight. Your three leg parlay is at the value of plus 300. Not bad. I like a little more action. Give me nine. Uh, I got Sixers tonight. I've maintained that pretty much since yesterday. I got Sixers winning outright tonight. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow to recap it all right here. Josh has game night next. Then the only place you can hear the Sixers and the Heat, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Have a great night, everybody. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.